0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com.
1: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples.
0: Hey, hey! It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks
2: with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am blessed, my friend, as always, and uh, looking forward to a good week or so down in Florida. Going to see the Fam Jam? Absolutely. Going to hook up with Way J. Take him out and do some granddad grandson stuff, whatever that is. He's only not even a year and a half, so there's limited things we could do, but we're gonna we're gonna explore
0: that. Who's more excited? Uh you or Mrs. B? I mean, Mrs. B's gotta be wringing her hands to get her hands on that baby. Yeah, she's
2: she it's it drives her a little crazy. It 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 does. You know, I think that's that maternal instinct that's sure. just slightly different, you know, with women that have had children. Um, but yeah, she's uh I won't say obsessed, but damn near close.
0: Well, I, uh, I can't wait to see all the pictures. I know you're always good about that. Uh, E Bischoff uh, on social media is where you want to look. If you want to keep up with Eric's travels and, uh, that youngster way, J. how is Garrett doing? We haven't talked about Garrett in a little while here on the show.
2: Garrett's doing great. He's, he's got a great job. He's doing well at, um, he's in sales of commercial construction equipment and materials, materials, not equipment um and doing really really well. Um, MJ, my daughter-in-law, she's had her own tanning studio now for about 7 or 8 years or longer. And I'm really proud of her because she ended up buying the building that she was leasing. Oh, wow. Yeah, cuz you you know, tanning business it's a service business and it's hard to you know, it's a cash flow business. I Meaning it's hard to build equity really in a business like that. It's like martial arts schools or any kind of strip mall business where you're renting as opposed to owning, uh, you know, you're subject to, you know, rent increases all the time and all kinds of things you have no control over. But she was able to actually buy the building. So now she's a commercial real estate uh, owner, her and Garrett, and uh, running her own business and doing really well. So they're, they're, they're great. They're just having a blast with WayJay with Waylon. And uh, couldn't, I don't think they could be happier. Maybe, I don't know, not sure, don't think so.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Glad to hear the update there. And of course, we're going to talk about a great topic today. Uh, we're going to talk about the one and only Sherry Martel. But before we do, I wanted to ask you, you know, have you been keeping up with, uh, with what's going on in, in WWE land lately? I know there was a lot of uh, debate and going back and forth about, hey man, Sami Zayn is so hot. Should this be the match that Roman Reigns has at WrestleMania? a few weeks ago, Dave Meltzer even said that's the match, but it wasn't in the plans and it's not going to happen, but that's the one that fans want to see. Of course, now we know we're going to see that at elimination chamber. And I think whatever sort of doubt there was as to whether or not they could tell a story about Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns went out the window after what I thought was a fantastic segment last week on raw between uh, Paul Heyman and Cody Rhodes. Have you had a chance to see that? What are you thinking of the way they're crafting this Cody Roman story? And the potential risk of
2: not going with Sammy at WrestleMania, I, I was uh, I was in the school of, of thought similar to Dave Meltzer uh, in that man's Sammy's the guy because they did such a great story, right? I mean, it, it's and I think that's why fans were so feeling so strongly about Sammy and, and Roman going into WrestleMania. And there's no denying it was a great story and it would make sense to keep that story going. It would make perfect sense in every way and it would do well. And I was a little concerned, you know, when they set up Cody and Roman, because I mean, Cody's hot, Cody's yeah. super hot. There's no question that Cody has the equity to be in that main event match. But up until this past Monday, that interview between Cody and Roman, there it wasn't personal, and there was really no story. Right, it was just a match that was booked. Okay, you're, you know, it it was.
0: You won. You won the rumble, so you get the title shot. Yeah,
2: right? but there was nothing behind it.
0: Not a personal. And,
2: and my concern was, man, they're they're stepping away from a great story they've been telling almost flawlessly, and the audience has been responding accordingly. And now they're jumping into, you know, a great matchup, but with no, no story. And in one interview, one interview promo, in-ring promo, they completely turned that around. Yes. And now there's not only story, there's stakes clearly, but it's now personal. And when you can, when you've got stakes and you can make it personal. You've got magic. And I I'm I'm all for it, no doubt. The only thing that I, you know, the only emotion that I have is pure envy. I mean, I would love to be in a position that Paul Lavec is in right now, and everybody else on the creative team, our buddy Bruce Pritchard and the the whole team. I would love to be in their position right now because they've got a huge problem. I've got two great stars that I could put against my top heel. I got Cody and I got Sam and I got Sammy. What a great position to be in because there's no wrong choice, but I'm, well, I'm really looking forward to it right now. I'm truly some of the best storytelling, the most disciplined storytelling. And for the last couple of years, Conrad, you know what? Unfortunately, you've had to listen to me babble and drone and rant on and on and on about discipline quality, structured storytelling. And I've gotten so much heat for that, especially amongst the AEW fans, because I'm quick to point out that that's what's lacking over there. And all of a sudden we're seeing disciplined, structured, progressively compelling, episodic television with great characters. And guess what? It's hot. Yeah, It just proves my point. And I'm really hoping, I won't, I won't beat this drum too much longer, I promise. I'm really hoping that when this is over, WWE and everybody involved sits back and says, hmm, all right, that worked pretty good. We told a great story. Let's go back and dissect it and figure out exactly what we did so well. Don't just move past it. Because right. this storyline and the build up and everything about it has been flawless. And it's the elements and discipline that went into that story that has made it so good. And if you can figure out a formula based on those elements, because every match is going to be different, every situation is going to be different. But if you've got a template, if you've got a formula, seven times out of ten, you're going to hit. And one of those is going to be a bloodline type story. I think it's the best story that's been told in professional wrestling in 30 or more years. Far better than NWO. Whoa. No, it is. It is. In terms of its structure, its discipline, the way it, and I I keep using that term discipline. What does that mean? That means sticking to the plan, sticking to the story. Don't start throwing things in kind of randomly and spontaneously because somebody had a good idea two hours before showtime. Right. Because that's what typically happens. They've, they've stuck to the plan, and they've executed perp- perfectly. And I think, you know, the NWO was a great story, and, and in its day, it, I think was, up until Bloodline, perhaps the be- one of the best stories that's been told, which is why people keep talking about it. But if you look at just the way Bloodline has been told, and the detail and the discipline that goes into that story, it blows the NWO story out of the water.
0: Wow, I did not expect you to say that. I, I agree, it is some of the best storytelling. I actually tweeted out after the Royal Rumble, I said, I don't remember WWE ever being this good. And of course, that was partially tongue-in-cheek. I was at my peak fandom in 89 and 97. Absolutely loved all that stuff. <clears throat> but I thought the story that they're doing with the Bloodline was fantastic. But I would challenge you on this, when you were saying, man, I'm second-guessing, you know, the, the decision to go with this, that should have went with, with Sammy. I, I hear you. But I also think if these are the same creative minds who have got us this far with the story, why not have that same confidence in them that we've had so far and just let it play out? Because when you look, take a look at just the routing of the big shows, they always knew that February show was in Montreal, Sammy and Kevin Owens' hometown. And again, I don't know anything. I don't have inside information. You and I never ask Bruce this type of stuff. It's just not cool. It's not the way we roll. However. Um, you got to think just Sammy's entrance against Roman Reigns at Elimination Chamber is going to be one of the biggest pops in WWE history, a legitimate all time WWE moment. And maybe we don't see Jay until then. And then he does side with the bloodline and puts the boots to Sammy. And maybe it's the first time we've seen Kevin Owens and he makes that big run in, in his hometown of Montreal, That would be even bigger than Sammy's entrance pop. And it perfectly sets up a great tag team match with Sammy and Kevin Owens against the Usos and a tag team match with more stakes and story than we've seen in WWE in a long time. I mean, that match in and of itself to me could be a co-main event either night of WrestleMania. And I don't remember the last time we talked about a tag title match that way.
2: No, no. And I'm with you. And you just made me even more excited. You know, to, yeah. to drill into WWE because that's a possibility, and that's the fun thing about the story, is because it's been done so well. They've got a lot of different options, and the option that you just laid out, man. If they don't do that, you know, you and I are going to tag team Mr. Pritchard, and figure <laughs> out why the hell not? You know, offline, you know, privately, we'll get him in a corner and see if we can squeeze it out of them. But man, what a perfect setup! And you're right about Montreal, man. I had the the, the privilege. Of, I won't even call it wrestling. I had a match with Steve Austin uh, when when Austin came back. After I'd been searching for him, and we were co GMs and all that crazy stuff that we built up, and it was fun. It wasn't a great storyline, but it was it was episodic and fun. And that was, you know, Steve and I. We weren't obviously the main event, but we were we were up there because it was Steve, and that crowd in that venue is unlike any experience i've ever had wow in, in the ring i've been in front of bigger crowds but i've never been in front of that much energy and that much passion amongst an audience and what you're talking about the way you just described it will probably be far more than I experienced. So man, I I almost want to go to Montreal to sit in the cheap seats. I just want to feel that. Because you do, man. You close your eyes, you can just feel it. It's it's pretty awesome. I you're right. What a great time to be in WWE. You know, who'd have thought this a year ago, right? Everything's yeah. kind of eh yeah. at best you get a mm, not bad. And now we're talking about it like We haven't talked about, at least I haven't talked about wrestling either forever. You know, I I
0: think everybody listening to this knows I'm a big nostalgia wrestling fan, and I try to keep up with what's going on. But uh, over the last year or so, I have stopped watching more and more of the current stuff. It just didn't keep my interest. And I found myself watching because I always had. And that's sort of the same thing with like the, if you're a football fan, the Saturday 3.30 Eastern CBS SEC football game. I'm always going to watch that one just because I always have. But right now, WWE programming has me excited to watch it, where it's like I'm not watching because I, I always have, and I usually do, and it's part of my routine. I'm watching because legitimately I can't wait to see what they do next. Like, I want to know what's going to happen next. And so the Elimination Chamber would not normally even be a pay-per-view. I would care to watch live. I, I would actually avoid it. If you invited
2: me to your house to watch Elimination Chamber, I'd have shit to do that day.
0: Well, and it, the thing is, it's like, you know, as you know, Eric, between the, the, the full-time podcast gig and the full-time mortgage gig, time just with the fam is uh, m- maybe it dra- I'll let the rough end drag a little bit. So, uh, a show like Elimination Chamber, which is really a lame duck pay-per-view between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, I kind of imagined I would be like, hey, uh, Megan, let's go do you know whatever you want to do. We'll go do some new stuff. Let's do some us time. Whatever. But now it's like, uh, hey, Silva <laughs> uh, and Cassio are coming over. We're going to watch Elimination Chamber. Because I want to know what's going to happen. And I think it's making all of us invested in, in a in a bigger way than we normally would. And, and I think that goes back to something you and I have talked about a lot, and we're going to get a little bit of heat for this, a little bit of hate online for this. But the reality is neither one of us have talked about a five-star match in this entire conversation. I'm sure it's going to be a great match at Elimination Chamber between Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns. But we don't really care about the moves. We're talking about the story. And story over matches is a debate that we hear often. There was even a debate a few weeks ago on social media from an independent uh, booker, if you will. Uh, and, And he was saying, hey, man, stories are what sell tickets, not the matches. And there was a large contingent of fans who totally disagreed. And I do think that's probably the fundamental difference right now between admittedly my friend, Tony Khan's AEW and, and WWE WWE is so heavy on story right now. It's what we're all talking about. And AEW has great matches. I mean, goodness gracious, that's your Danielson last week on a Wednesday night. That's a match. I never thought I would see. I was thrilled to see it, but now it's kind of over. And now I'm like, what else? As opposed to, I can't wait to see what they're
2: going to do next. The story with WWE has me hooked. I, I think, and I, got myself sidetracked. You know, when I said there's two things that I'm hoping is going to happen when this is over is one is WWE sits down and analyzes their success. You know, it's one thing to sit down and try to analyze a mistake because you're going to learn from that, but you can also learn from your success and really drill into the formula. And I keep saying formula because you, once you figure that out, you can then adapt that formula going forward. And I'm hoping that Tony is looking at the success of what's going on because people are buzzing. People are putting the product over. The audience has been increasing. The the ticket sales, the pay-per-views, everything is coming up because that segment of the audience, which is still, in my opinion, the largest segment of the audience, is into great characters and great story. We're seeing discipline-structured, legitimate story in WWE. We have never seen it in AEW. Now, the first thing that, you know, all the AEW fans are going to, Oh, you feeling you hate Tony Khan. You hate AEW. Not true. I want, I don't, I I like Tony Khan. He's a good person. I have lost some respect for, for him in certain, for certain reasons, but there's no animosity on my part, nor is there any for AEW. However, the, dirt sheet booking approach, which is just great matches, you know, with, you know, dream matches with great action is not going to cut it for the vast majority of the audience. When I say Tony is booking for the internet, I mean, he is booking for the internet wrestling community that loves to talk about it online. Well, if your creative instincts are driving you to that destination, you're going to, you're going to get there. You're going to have great matches like the one you just described, but no one's going to remember it two weeks later because there was no story behind it. If you want to build an audience, you have to do what WWE is doing. Unfortunately fortunately for them, because they went for a long time without doing it. Right. Story. There's you haven't heard me putting over story in WWE in a long time. Correct. Until now. And to- if I was Tony, Check my ego and just look at reality and say, okay, what they just did work. And I would do the same thing that I'm encouraging WWE to do, is break it down. What made that story, not who made it work, and for God's sake, not how good were the matches, how many four-star matches did we get out of it. And I don't mean to dismiss that aspect of it because you can have a great story, but if the in-ring execution is sloppy and isn't believable and isn't compelling, you're going to have a problem. Starcade, <clears throat> jeez, man, let it go, you're sick body, <laughs> let it go. How many times do you have to beat me over the head with that? Couple more, you're satisfied. Couple more, but I, I, I just hope that Tony looks at this and goes, "Okay, we can do that too," because he can. You know, he's, he's got a guy and I've been putting this guy over, you know, I think I'm the only one doing it consistently is Mike Mansuri.
0: Yeah.
2: You put Mike Mansuri in a room with somebody that understands traditional storytelling structure and discipline along with, I don't know, take your pick, Arne Anderson, Jake Roberts, Jericho, any of those people. And if you can get them great, you get their gears synced up because it's not easy because here's what happens. And I've, I've done, I think I was one of the first people to try to bring in Hollywood writers. I brought them in in 94, I think 90, yeah, 93 or 94. I had two guys that were really credentialed, you know, screen actors, guild, a lot of, a lot of credits under their belts. I brought them in to work with dusty. well, I didn't know enough to know how to manage that process well. Right. And what happens is traditional storytellers and people that have a lot of experience in wrestling, like a dusty and Arn, a Jake, whomever, Chris Jericho, not, not Chris so much. Cause Chris has done a lot of, outside of wrestling, but you know what I'm saying? Somebody's got a really good understanding of wrestling storytelling, what traditionally has been called storytelling, which isn't really, but you get those people in a room with somebody from either New York or LA that's actually been writing television for a living. They don't speak the same language. You know, you talk to a wrestling guy about a three S I remember the first time I brought up a three X structure to Vince Russo in TNA it's like his eyes rolled back in his head. He started drooling all over himself because, what was that? And and, and there's a resistance because it's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. That's human nature.
0: Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful, hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at painterlife.com and there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off. And free shipping to get this special offer, just text the word weeks to 87204. That's weeks to eight seven two zero four. Text weeks to eight seven two zero four. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details.
2: But if you can get a couple of writers that understand it, working closely and in, 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 in equally. So you don't have your wrestling team, you know, running right over the top of your writing team, because they will, unless you know how to manage it. But you get that. If you hit that, if Tony could do that, and he only needs one or two people, and I'm not talking about booking the show, I'm talking about developing the plot points within a story to make it more interesting and to make it progress week after week and give it that compelling episodic feel. Compelling, why do I emphasize that? Because that's what gets people to come back. You want them to do exactly what you just described a few moments ago. I can't wait to next week to find out what's going to happen next. Right. That's what I mean. And it takes somebody that understands the formula and can combine that template with what works in the rest. Because the rest here's, you know, on the other side of that equation, the wrestling audience is different than a traditional drama audience or a traditional sitcom audience right? The the audience in, in in wrestling has a different expectation. So you've got to be a little careful. You've got to manage that process. But if you do, you get bloodline quality storylines on a regular, maybe not that big. you got to be careful. The quality of the story, you can replicate that. I don't know that you can replicate a guy like, Roman reigns too easily because he's been getting this push for, I don't know, years,
0: years, six
2: seven years. Yeah. Right. So that's, what's taken it into the, you know, a different universe, but the quality of the storytelling can be great. If you just commit to it. And that'll be interesting if Tony does that, because I think, look, you take me out of the equation. I was, I never happened my opinions have never been aired or or talked about. How do you just not see it? How do you not look at your own product? If if you're Tony Khan and go, okay, every once in a while we crack a million, but we're living in that 900 zone and we have for a long time. Let's not kid ourselves. You can spin that thing any way you want to spin it. It is what it is. They're flatlining and have been for a long time. What do you need to do to get to that next level? that next phase, that growth phase, what do you do? What you're doing isn't working. Dream matches and getting dirt sheet booker of the year awards has done absolutely nothing for your growth. Well, come on now. I mean, I think,
0: I listen, I, um, I feel bad because you and I've had some conversations offline uh, that, that aren't for public consumption where we did talk about Tony and, and I know how you really feel about Tony, but sometimes I feel like you say things on the program here that don't really line up where you said, you know, I lost some respect for him and blah, blah, blah. I think that's referencing a Ted Turner comment, but I think the Ted Turner comment is probably, and and I, some people confuse the the definition of this word, but it's ignorance. I don't think Tony Khan really knew what Ted was doing on a day-to-day basis. Not like you did. So I don't think that necessarily came from a place of him trying to be mean spirited or slight Ted Turner or quote unquote, put himself over. I just think it was, he just didn't have the knowledge about Ted Turner's involvement and, and who he was and is that that you did. But then when you say, well, they're flatlining and they're not growing and that's not a criticism. Hang hang tight though. Hang tight. We don't know that he wants to grow. Hang on. I, I said what I said. I want to repeat that. We don't know that he wants to grow you You look at this as as as, as a, a third party who has no skin in the game and says, "Well, they're not doing this, they're not doing that. Not everybody is interested in growth. Some people are happy with where they are in life. A lot of our listeners uh, who are not um, salesmen or or industry leaders or CEOs or whatever man, they got their life the way they like it. And and I'm jealous of that sometimes because I am in a sales organization and I'm on the rat race. I'm on the, every single month. You know, it's, hey, we got to have a good month. We got to have a good month. Okay, the month started over. Let's do it again. And I think you and I are both hardwired to just, we need to see things grow. But at the same time, there's a good chance that Tony Khan is just happy with the way things are right now. He's happy and maybe his... His his partners are, are happy. And if, if everybody's happy, why deviate? Why not just super serve that base? Maybe the idea was, let's do be an alternative. Like on some level, I could see a comparison to, to like peak Ring of Honor and current AEW, where if you want to see the best wrestling matches in the world, you probably want to watch New Japan and Ring of Honor. If you want to see the best stories, well, maybe you watch WWE. So I could see this being that alternative. And a friend of mine who's very smart and had a lot of success in business often says you can be less than, better than, or different than. And if, if we're honest, I don't know that anybody can beat this bloodline story right now. So maybe being better than isn't an option. So even if you try to compete, maybe you wind up, sad to say, a little bit like TNA a few years ago or several years ago where it's less than. So why not be different then? but perhaps he's not interested in growing. He's happy with the way things are right now.
2: And if that's the case, like you, I'm a little jealous. I can't imagine living that way. I would love it. I I see. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Then what? Then, then what?
0: Well, you I'm know, the guy man. who drives by my old house and thinks, you know, I was happy there. I, I could have just stayed there and been fine. But then, you know, me and you were just. We got to do more. And so I I get motivated and I get my feet on the ground every day and get out of bed because I want to set a new goal. And and you know me, as soon as I hit that goal, I mean, by the time I accomplish the goal, I've already got two more lined up. And so I'm just in this rat race of life. However, if he's got the television, let's just reset for a minute. If you would have said to us 10 years ago, there's going to be a rival league pop up that's got massive bankroll, that's going to start developing video games and and have solid pay-per-view numbers that they're going to run quarterly and they're going to have licensing for trading cards and action figures. And, oh, by the way, they're going to be live in prime time on TBS and TNT. We've all would have said, well, that just sounds too good to be true. That's not realistic. Tony has done it. And for some reason, we have moved the goalpost where now it's like, well, that's not enough. You're not growing. You're not beating WWE. You're not,
2: you're not, you're not. Okay, let me let me let me jump in. You're covering a lot of ground. First of all, me pointing out facts is not being critical. I agree. So when I talk about flatlining, that is a term referencing their growth chart. It's been flat. flat. It's flatlining
0: flat. implies that it's going down. No, like flat, flat flatlining. Lining, is, no. Well, hang on now. What I mean is flatlining implies death. That's where
2: that term comes from. They're not dying. They're just not. No, okay, growth. I'll I'll take that. You're right. You're right. Bet but their ratings are flat and have been, or I could, I'll be, I'll be nicer about it. Their ratings are stable. Yes. There you go. Okay. That's another so, word. So, but let me back up just a second. Now, maybe Tony, look, his father's a billionaire, multi-billionaire. Yeah. Certainly, Tony would never have to do anything he didn't want to do for the rest of his life and have more money than he can spend. Yeah. Okay. So he's already at that point where he's, he's good financially, but, You step into, now he's in the television business. I don't think I've ever met anybody remotely associated with management in the television industry that wasn't focused, obsessed with growth. Because if you're not growing, you're dying. It's a matter of when do they pull the plug. Is you have to survive in the environment that you're in. Now, if somebody were to say to me, I don't know, David Zasloff, the guy who's really, you know, calls all the shots at Warner Discovery, he is happier than hell with AEW just the way it is. Okay. I Then you're right. And now I'm really jealous of Tony because he doesn't really have to do much more than he's doing, which quite honestly, from a creative perspective, isn't that hard. It's booking matches. Yeah. You sitting down with your talent and they come up with their own little promos and their store, what, you know, their audience thinks is a story and it's f love's happy you've you've got a lifelong agreement if you want it at TBS or Turner. Whew, great. I just don't think that's reality. I think there is a there is pressure. Now maybe Tony doesn't care if he's at some point in the future at risk of of losing his partnership but I can assure you not just from personal experience, but just from paying attention to things a little bit, man, with the turnover in the television industry, a top management companies, being merged, bought, sold, all the things that's been going on for quite a while. If you're not growing, you're dying. That's just my opinion. And maybe Tony doesn't care. And if he doesn't, and great by the way yeah. he was the one that was making all the comparisons to wwe and taking shots at wwe talent still does it on a regular basis so if if you're not interested in really competing quit talking about yourself as a competitor to wwe and focus on your mm-hmm. own stuff if you're not competing if you are competing then go the other direction fight like hell get in the mud Go for the eyes.
0: Well, yeah. hang on now. You, you know, listen, you, you watch enough political TV to know that he's just trying to, quote-unquote, motivate his base. So he's going to get up there and say things that are going to really fire up and roll up his fans. And yeah, it's us versus them, and we love this. And that underdog mentality is, is something that's easy to get behind. So I understand why he does it on occasion. Uh, he's trying to motivate that fan base. But I do think that on some level, it, you know tony's Tony's hard wiring is different from a lot of folks, like Vince McMahon is interested in making as much money as he can um I don't know that that's a concern that Tony has to be bothered with now or ever, and I'm not saying that the company's not profitable. I don't know the financials. I don't think anybody knows the financials but you you and i uh, uh thinking is always based on how do we do more, how do we make more, how do we grow, how do we get better? And I think his mentality could just be hey, man, we want to run a good show, take care of our wrestlers, have a lot of fun, and make our partners happy. And, and he's partners. already, then he's
2: already as successful as he's ever going to be.
0: I, yeah, just, I mean, realistically, I do, you, do you think there's an alternate universe where AEW can beat WWE? Because I don't think that exists. There's no scenario where that Oh,
2: No, 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 no. I, I was one of the first ones to say long, long before they aired their first show, no one will ever. Outperform yes. WWE again. No one will ever do it. Yes. No matter, it, it, Tony's dad could throw a billion dollars at Tony and say, go try to be better. And he can't be. Not in this lifetime. WWE's had like a 40 year head start.
0: Well, hang and- tight now. We're talking about two different things. I know we're going to get Eat Up alive based on what you just said. But the reality of what you just said is from a business standpoint, from a L standpoint, they can't beat them. They can't. Never. Them. Now, creatively, could you like that product more? Sure. Some the people like thing. BMWs. Other people like Mercedes. And Mercedes people will never like BMW and vice versa. I get that. But there's no arguing who sells the most cars. I mean, that's just, that's out there. WWE is going to sell the most tickets. They're going to generate the most revenue. They're going to get the most ratings. They're going to court the most attention globally, et cetera, et cetera. It's too big of a head start. I mean, it would be like thinking the XFL could someday compete with the NFL. We same, same
2: thing. We, we both agree.
0: But creatively, you could say, man, the XFL is more fun to watch. Okay, knock yourself out. But business-wise, they're not the same.
2: And I think they're there. I think that's exactly where AEW is. I think they've got 100%, maybe 90%. Maybe there's a little room but they've probably got a hundred percent of the audience whose tastes are for four and five star matches with not without story. Yeah. And, And that's fine. I agree. I mean, it's like some people like watching bare knuckle fighting as opposed to, you know, MMA or professional boxing for whatever reason, if that's your, if that's your jam, cool. You, you are a part of a segment of the audience that likes that stuff. That's why it exists. And I think, not necessarily a fair analogy, but I think where AEW is at is they've done a great job of harnessing the interest and, and the passion for the internet wrestling fan that is of the Dave Meltzer approach or school of thought, where it's all about the quality of the matches and the stories don't really matter. They're secondary, or if that. And if that's, if that's Tony's goal, if that's TBS, if TBS is cool with that and they're happy and they don't want growth, I still, I can't even really say that without laughing, but okay. If TBS is happy with it and they're not interested necessarily in growth, it's not urgent on their part. Tony doesn't need to worry about the money. It's money's an afterthought for Tony at this point. God bless him, man. And I'll, 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 I'll refrain from ever commenting on it again in that respect, but I just don't believe that it's true. I don't believe Tony Khan. He's put himself out there. He's made a huge commitment. He's invested a lot of his money. He's passionate about it. He loves it. I can't believe that somebody is smart and I know Tony is smart. He's way smarter than I am. Yeah. He's super, I'm, I'm sure he is. Um, but I can't believe somebody who's that smart, who's that passionate, who's invested that much of not only his own money, but his identity into this thing that he wanted to nurture and grow or build. I can't believe he's just at this point now, we're gonna, okay, cool, I don't care about it. I'm, we don't need better storylines. We don't need to improve the product. We just need to get more guys. I just, I just can't believe that's true. Hey guys, it's the hardcore legend, Mick Foley here. And I need to call a quick timeout, a brief timeout because I wanted to tell your listeners what I have been telling Foley is Pod listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. Adfreeshows gives you early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts, including The Snake Pit with Jake Roberts. This week, the snake welcomed the devil himself, Kevin Sullivan, to the program. I'm ready to go out, and I see Ming coming back, and all of a sudden, they threw a cinder block and hit him on the shoulder oh, from fuck. the roof. He dropped to a knee, but he just shook it off and came in. If they oh. hit him in the head, it would have killed him. David Crockett joins Conrad for an all-new edition of The Book, as they go day by day through February 1985 with the help of Jim Crockett's original booking log. What a pivotal month it was! As WrestleMania One is right around the corner, and Jim Crockett Promotions is running in Vince's own backyard. In that area, knew him, knew his reputation. It's a working class audience. Uh, they like the style of our wrestling, and you put Dusty and Backlund together. They're you know opposites, but they attract, and, and they make it work. This month marks the 35 year anniversary of one of the most memorable angles in wrestling history, the famous twin referee angle on the main event. And AdFree Shows members got to watch it back live alongside Earl Hebner on our latest premium watch along
1: event. I got to dress, I got to use uh, Andre's dressing room after all this happened. And uh, Andre just loved me. I mean, he just wanted me basically always be at rest. And Hogan loved me to death that's just a small taste a sampling if you
2: will of what we have waiting for you with four levels to choose from four see for yourself why ad free shows is the best value in wrestling today sign up now right now at adfreeshows.com yeah
0: well, I can't believe that we are celebrating today as you and I are recording Sherry Martel's sixty-fifth birthday. She would have been sixty-five today, Eric. She was born February eighth, nineteen fifty eight. Uh there's a little spoiler for you guys and girls. We're recording this early because Eric's hitting the road to Tampa. But still, man, sixty-five today, gone way too early. Uh she was pretty athletic growing up, being born here in Birmingham, Alabama. She played basketball and did track and field and eventually moves to Mississippi and that's when Sherry's mother gave her the option. You want to go ice skating or watch wrestling (laughs) at first she picked ice skating, but after some fights with her sister, she opted to watch wrestling instead and she fell in love with it so much so that she dropped out of college to focus on it full time. I know this is long before you knew her, Eric, but you felt her love of professional wrestling. I'm sure.
2: Absolutely. She Sherry was so unique. I mean, that's not necessarily the best picture of Sherry, but Sherry is a very attractive woman. She had this raspy, sultry, like two packs of Paul Mall day and a quarter scotch kind of voice. Sexy as hell, and that's not usually something that people think about when they are talking about sherry but she had that she had that quality about her she had a raw sensuality about her wow but it was packaged in this badass fear nothing character and that's i think what made her so unique and she didn't you know she she never, at least as far as i remember she never tried to you know exploit herself in the, in the sensuality care, category she didn't flaunt she didn't dress provocatively now unless it was part of an angle and she was trying to distract somebody or something like that but her her gig was she looked good and she could kick your ass right and she and when she cut a promo she made you believe and that was all out of her passion and her love for what she did
1: why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new you rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app.
0: She gets trained for wrestling and, uh, works with people like Butch Moore and Grizzly Smith. Of course, that's, uh, the Snake's father. And eventually fabulous Moolah. I know we don't talk about, um, a lot of ugly topics here on the show. It's more of a business show, but boy, fabulous Moolah has had a lot of claims against her. And Sherry says that she was never subjected to some of that behavior. Did you, Way back when in the WCW days, did you hear any rumors about Moolah's factory of gals or any of that stuff?
2: No, I, I didn't hear about that that rumor until probably eight years ago. Okay. Years ago. Yeah, I know. Look, I just don't. Unless I have firsthand knowledge or experience in something, I don't invest a lot of time and thought into rumors and store. I mean, I'm not suggesting they weren't true or they were true. I don't know. And because I don't know, I never really, even when I found out about it, it was just kind of went in one ear and out the other.
0: Mula winds up sending Sherry to all Japan to get some more experience. And, uh, she returns to uh, work in Memphis where she was working as a manager for the very first time. And we have spent a little bit of time, but maybe not enough talking about what I like to call a utility player. A guy like Bobby, the brain Heenan could work matches. He could be a manager. He could be a commentator. He could do it all. Sherry was kind of cut from the same cloth, right?
2: She could do it all. She was. And I attribute that a lot to the way she came up in the business. You know, she had to be good. You had to be a master of all trades to survive back then. You know, the the more you could do, the more likely it is you're going to get booked. Right. You know, if you can get in a ring and have a match and, or you can manage somebody on the same card, damn. Promoters getting two for the price of one, right? Right. So you'll, you'll, you'll get booked more often. That was the nature, I think, of the way she came up and the way she was trained.
0: We, uh, we know she's going to find her way to the AWA from 85 to 87. Eric, you were living up in Minnesota before you started working for the AWA. Uh, how big of a presence was women's wrestling in the AWA? Did it get much visibility on TV as best you can recall?
2: you know vern used to bring in wendy richter uh was one name that i do remember but he would bring before he you know hired medusa um deborah Macelli. uh he would bring in women for a run you know he was a monthly territory traditionally even though when i would by the time i got there he was really cutting back on live events because they weren't drawing but traditionally vern was a monthly territory so he would bring women in for a month or two months kind of work the circuit and then cycle them out and it may be two three four months before you saw another woman on the card <clears throat> and I just think that had a lot to do with it just wasn't a giant pool of women wrestlers at that time right um it was it was pretty thin but when he I remember you know before, I didn't start working for Vernon until <clears throat> 1987 late uh, august I think of 87 so yeah she was there for a couple of years when I was just I was a fan. Mrs. B and I were watching wrestling on a little black and white TV, on a TV tray in a little house that looked right at a house on the prairie in North central Minnesota. The only heat we had was a wood burning fire, fire uh, stove in the basement. And we'd sit and watch all-star AWA all-star wrestling. And there was Sherry Martell. So I think I I remember seeing her with Kurt Henning. I think she managed Kurt perhaps. She was involved in the She was great. I loved her. And when I, I got to work there, I think she was just on her way out. Right. So I remember seeing her one time in the hallway, like right after I first started. It was an uh, interview taping day because Vernon used to tape his interviews, I think, once a month. So we'd fly all the talents in. And they'd spend all day cutting individual market <clears throat> promotions, commar- interviews. So all the talent would fly in. And I remember seeing her for the first time in person. It was like, whoa, there she is. Then I heard her laugh. In fact, I heard her laugh before I saw her because she had a laugh. You could hear from here to Mississippi when she started laughing. It was great. Contagious laugh.
0: I, uh, I love hearing about people's first impressions and first memories of meeting wrestlers and to hear, to know that you heard her laugh before you saw her. That's a great way to think about Sherry today on her 65th birthday. Uh, Sherry credits Larry Zabisco with helping her get into the AWA. She did an interview back in 2004, which is up now over on the title match network, where she said, Larry was instrumental in getting me my job with Vern. He went in with me to the office. I had worked on a few shows for Vern at the time, so he knew me. I guess Vern never thought of me as being someone with the company on a regular basis. I was living in Nashville at the time, and I'd flown up to do a show. Larry says, we're going into the office to talk to Vern. And Larry helped me work on my interviews. He helped me become more self-confident. He said, Sherry, when you get nervous, just look out in the crowd and think, everybody wants me. It was history after that. We went in to talk to Vern, and without Larry, it would have never happened. Larry's a Bisco man, one of the uh, maybe often overlooked great figures in wrestling. I mean, he helped name the freaking New World Order, the NWO that we've discussed here on the program before. And here he is vouching for Sherry Martell. And without that AWA break, who knows if she gets the run with Vince. Um I don't think I don't think history remembers Larry Zabisco the way they should. What say you?
2: Well <clears throat> I agree, number one. <clears throat> but I think the most interesting part of that story that you just relayed was not only did Larry create the opportunity to get in front of Vern. But Larry imparted some really valuable advice yes. on a young lady that was pretty green at the time, not green, but she didn't have the type of experience that I know Vern would have been looking for, which is if you can't talk, you can't sell. And if you can't sell, I don't need you. When I mean sell, I mean, sell tickets. Um, that, that, Bit of advice that Larry gave her was probably far more valuable than just opening the door and getting a meeting with Vern. That says a lot about Larry. That's I love hearing stories like that because that's a learned experience. Larry didn't, he wasn't born knowing that. Right. right? He went through the same things that Sherry was probably going through, trying to get established, trying to get recognized as something more than a spot show, you know, independent talent. And Larry had to go through it and he learned by experience. He learned on the job and then was able to remember the things that helped get him to that next level and share that with Sherry. And that's, you know, you love seeing that passed down because that's advice. you can't get, where are you going to get that advice? Acting coach, you know, you're going to go to a YouTube channel, you know, it's got to be with someone that you trust that, that knows you, And can really analyze what it is you need and see where your weakness is. You know, see what makes you nervous and be able to give you some advice to help you get over that hump. That's a cool story.
0: Super cool story. And we know that Larry was uh, instrumental in helping you feel settled in the AWA. Uh, I'm curious. you, You told us the story earlier. You started to. You heard her voice. You heard her laugh. Then you got to meet her. Uh, Did you have any relationship to speak of at all before she was out of there for quote unquote, greener
2: pastures? No. And when I say I saw her, it's because my office was on one side of the building. TV production was on the other side of the building. I had not been introduced to the finer details and inner workings of the wrestling business. Vern was very, very old school in that regard. So when I came, When I came out of my side of the office, and there was a common kind of lobby waiting area there. It was really big. And that's where a lot of the talent, when they weren't doing something on camera, they'd come out to the lobby and talk because you can't talk in the studio when things are going on. So I walked out of the main door to my side of the building into the main lobby, and that's when I heard Sherry laugh. And I looked over, and there she was. And I think she was standing around Kurt or Sergeant Slaughter and maybe uh, Sheik, if I remember right. And I heard her laugh and I looked over and I saw her, but I, you know, that was back when I was still man. I didn't even have a parking place yet. And I wasn't about to go, Hey, I'm Eric Bischoff. I'm a big fan. So I just, I took care of what I I think I was going out to get a can of soda or something. I got my can of soda out of the refrigerator and went right back to my office. I never, I never really met her in AWA, I don't think, may have done something with her at TV once, but I don't recall it. And then she she left shortly after I got there.
0: Let's remind everybody what Sherry did in the AWA. can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio. Jacksonville as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town and to visit rickflairwings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, Hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy of hearing the name of the 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out RickFlairWings.com to become a partner. She wins the AWA Women's title three times. She also starts to manage Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Summers to the World Tag Team Championships. Uh, Rose and Summers are eventually going to lose those titles to the Midnight Rockers, who we know is Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. That happens in January of 87. And this relatively short run is pretty remarkable. Uh, I mean, winning major titles, managing others to uh, championships at the same time. I mean, this is uh trailblazing in a lot of ways for a woman in wrestling in this era.
2: No, it was now again. You know, you had Wendy Richter. You had other, a lot of other, <clears throat> excuse me, very successful women throughout the history of wrestling, right? But I, I think perhaps Sherry may have been the first that could do it all. She could manage. She could wrestle. Um, we, ha- I have a cough button. I'm sorry. I just saw that on my chat. I have a cough button. I just kept <laughs> I didn't have to use it. I'm sorry. I, I apologize to the audience. Um, Sherry might have been one of the first that was so adept at managing or wrestling, or as you put, announcing, although I don't think she did any in the AWA, but uh yeah, she was a groundbreaker in that respect for sure.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong, Wendy Richter and, and other great women wrestlers uh certainly did their thing in the ring, but the idea of hey, I can also manage the tag team champions, is going to be something that gets the attention of Vince McMahon. She's going to spend the next six years in the WWF. She's going to be working with Mula for the women's title. Eventually, she wins it. That's an early version of the WWF women's title in Houston. And that's when she becomes sensational, Sherry. And uh, it's crazy to think, you know, most of us grew up, uh, listening to this podcast, at least, most of us grew up uh, thinking of Sherry as like a manager for the Macho King or Ted DiBiase or Harlem Heat. But to know that man, she was also a champion herself before that, it's, uh, it's a trajectory that you don't see often happen with, with personalities in wrestling, where they were a champion wrestler and then they became a fantastic manager of champions. But guys like Bobby Heenan and Sherry Martell, I mean, these are special talent who could do it all over the place. And by the time you're established on camera as an interviewer in, I guess, 1989 in the AWA, what was happening with the female side of the roster at that time? Was there an emphasis at all on women's wrestling in the AWA in 89 when you are
2: there? Well, Medusa was there. Um, I think Medusa started either a week before me or a week after me, I don't really remember, but we started about the same time. So I think there was a, you know, there was a desire there, but again, I'll go back to the reality of the situation back then there just wasn't a great pool of talent. You know, um, Vern certainly wasn't at a, at a point where he could, you know, be flying, you know, women in from Japan or from Los Angeles, you know, there, he was, he was on a tight budget and there certainly weren't, you know, a deep pool of female wrestlers in the Minneapolis, St. Paul area. So he, I think he, he wanted it. He, he, he probably wanted more women because they've always been an attraction. Right. To, to an event. Um, and he did make the commitment to Medusa, but, uh, beyond that, I think it was tough for him.
0: Well, I want to give a shout out to everybody over at adfreeshows.com. You know, we often promote that you, you get these shows early and ad free. We're actually doing it live with a live studio audience. I want to give a shout out to Mark Cyrus, who's watching over uh, along with us. And he actually tweets out or or, or comments in the chat. Sherry broke the mold of what a women's wrestler was thought of at the time. Trailblazer. Uh, We got another comment here from Mitchell Barnett. He says, as a child, I was terrified of Sherry in the WWF. She was such an incredible performer. Totally agree. Shout out to Josh and everybody else over in the group chat. uh, Eddie Prather and everybody who's watching along with us. Uh, this early Wednesday morning, uh, let's talk about now that she's uh, in the WWF and, and she's going to be not only wrestling, but also managing. She's going to do something that was again, pretty groundbreaking at the time. She dresses up as honky tonk man's girlfriend, Peggy Sue. (laughs) So before we ever really acknowledge that this is Sherry Martell, the former in-ring wrestling champion she's going to be in full quote unquote gimmick costume with the big glasses and the blonde wig dancing around as Peggy Sue. And then eventually starts managing the macho man, Randy Savage. And of course that happens after the mega powers explode and miss Elizabeth is out of the picture. Once Savage becomes the macho King, Sherry logically changes her name to sensational queen Sherry and manages him through the 91 WrestleMania she plays a, an instrumental role in two major feuds during the time uh, the first is managing Savage and Zeus as they take on Hogan and Beefcake with Savage's former manager Miss Elizabeth and then she even teams up with Savage to wrestle Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire at WrestleMania 6 you know when you take a look at her career It just feels like she's the ultimate utility player. I mean, in a mixed tag at a WrestleMania or don't even refer to me by my name and I'll get in a costume and I'll be honky talk man's girlfriend. It's phenomenal stuff, man. She had a run that rivals almost any ladies in the WWE, especially in that era. No,
2: absolutely. And I think if, if I had to come up with one word that best defines Sherry, it would be fearless. Mm-hmm. And I think clearly, you know, what she was able to do in the ring, because she was very physical. She was not afraid of doing anything in the ring with anybody that I can remember. Now, you know, I obviously wasn't in WWE when she was there, but, and, and I didn't work with her in AWA as we've just talked about, but when I worked with her in WCW, you know, if someone else were to throw out an idea to her and it involved physicality, she'd say, yeah, but what if we do this and this and this as well? She, I mean, she was not afraid to get physical with anybody in any situation. But she was also not afraid to go out and just be a character. And doesn't that sound easy? It sounds yeah. so easy. Yeah, come on, just put on this blonde wig. and will throw on these clothes and just be Peggy Sue. It sounds easy. But if you're a talent and – you're you, you and and you don't have a hundred, you're not secure in yourself, and there's a little bit of fear or nervousness about going out and performing in a certain character. You're gonna, you're not gonna be any good at it. Sherry could care less, he had no fear of, of doing anything, whether it was physical or as a performer, non physical. And I think that. The fact that she was so fearless is what served her so well and made her so versatile. And as you pointed out, she was capable, capable of being not just a utility player, but a very, very va- She was like a designated hitter. Yeah. In that respect. She was not just a utility player. She was an extremely valuable utility player because of the fact that she was just flat out fear, fearless.
0: Talk to me about her promo ability. You know, we, um, We, these days, oftentimes see a lot of quote unquote scripted promos in this era. That was not really the case. Maybe bullet points at best, but it's not often that we would see promos from women that were like this, but she was willing, as you said, to be fearless. So she would, especially when she was sensational queen, Sherry start doing her makeup in a very unique way. I don't know another way to say it, but she would get a little more creative Lots of glitter, lots of color, lots of freehand drawing. Uh, It was a different look. And the promo style, I I don't even know. How would you describe
2: the way she did promos? I don't know. It's hard to describe the style of her promo. You know, she, she was just so good at it. She could tell a story in a promo. She could take you on a journey in her promo. You paid attention to everything she said when she was doing her promos. And that takes a lot of talent. Qu- quite honestly, she was far better at it than the people she managed other than Larry. Um, I don't know if she actually managed Kurt or if they just hung out a lot together. Cause I just remember seeing them together as often as I did, but um, of the people she managed, While I was watching her before I came to AWA and what I, you know, what I saw, she was better, you know, way better than pretty boy Doug Summers and whoever the other guy was. Um, No offense to them, but she was so strong and believable. And I I keep harping on her voice, but a voice is everything. When you're, when you're as identifiable by your voice as you are by your face, you got a voice. Your voice is as much a part of your brand as anything else you do. Hulk Hogan's the same way. You know, you hear that voice, you know exactly who that is. Yes. Stone Cold, Ric Flair, obviously the macho man. You know, when you've got a, a, a voice that is so distinct that it separates you from everybody else, male or female, you got a gift. And that's what Sherry had. And that's probably why Vern used her as much as he did. And why Vince probably saw as much as he did in her because her promos were gold.
0: And she became a brilliant foil for characters like Miss Elizabeth and Sapphire and no disrespect to either one of those. I'm sure very kind ladies, but their personalities were not over the top. So Sherry more than made up for that in both instances and I think that is a, the ultimate compliment to her, uh because those feuds became memorable, not necessarily because because of what sapphire did or what Miss Elizabeth did, but because of what Sherry did and how those characters reacted to it. She was the uh, the straw that stirs the dream, and she's calling now from beyond the grave, no it' Sonny Ono. Well, let, let's 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 talk to Sonny and see what he thought of Sherry. Seriously, talk to me about um, how she sort of more than made up. She more than more than carried uh, her load of the water. I mean, w- when you're talking about Miss Elizabeth, who is universally loved and respected, when you go back and you take a look at what she actually did, it was she had to have that antagonist, right? Somebody had to bully her and then her overcome. And Sherry brought it. Yeah, Sherry was
2: a great heel. She was a bully. She could be a bully as a character and a believable one. And you look at the contrast of those two characters, you know, Miss Elizabeth, who's this shy, demure, yes, naive, almost fragile, you know, beautiful, but almost fragile type character. And then you got somebody like Sherry with that look and that voice and that confidence and that fearless aggression. <laughs> perfect perfect contrasting characters you felt you felt sympathy f- for miss elizabeth if if sherry Martell was at ringside you'd start she'd start to get sympathy um from the audience uh, elizabeth would no it's a it's a perfect contrasting characters and here's another example and, and eddie prather is the one that brought it up sherry was you know going back to what she did so well you know we look at you know booker t now and he can cut a hell of a promo now right Yeah, yeah, he was okay. He wasn't horrible when he first got to WCW, but he wasn't the Booker T we know now. That's fair. Any stretch. Sherry, you asked me once, you know, why was Sherry with Harlem Heat? Here's a perfect example. Sherry could deliver a promo better than either Booker or Stevie. At that time, all due respect to Booker now, and I think he would probably agree. Um, He's got a very healthy, intact ego. Um, But that's... That was Sherry, man. It goes back to being that super valuable utility player. I'll tell you what
0: else is super valuable. The beard hedger from Manscaped. Eric, I just got mine. I am so excited to check it out. We've often talked about Manscaped here on the program in that, uh, well, they take care of all your below-the-belt grooming, but now they're going to help you shape your signature beard look. You can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet. I go into manscaped.com and using the promo code 83 weeks, that'll get you 20% off and free shipping time to tame that mane, boys and girls. Nobody likes a weird beard. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with the new pro beard kit from manscaped. It all starts with the beard hedger. And this thing is amazing. What's so amazing about it is every other beard trimmer I've ever had, had like a whole box of gimmicks that just took up a whole drawer in my bathroom. All those different size guards, not here. You got 20 positions of precision with just one guard here with this new beard hedger. So there's no junk drawer full of extra pieces that you're going to lose eventually anyway. It's also waterproof. So you can shave in the shower and avoid all that hair in the sink. This blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They've created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. They've also got beard shampoo and conditioner. I mean, let's be honest. The beard hair is different than your head hair, so you need different shampoo and conditioner. They also have Manscaped's beard oil. Now, that's an essential piece because it's going to relieve that dryness and the brittleness, give you a little more shimmer and shine. you have also got Beard Balm. That'll help you shape and style and moisturize also comes with a brush, a comb, and scissors, everything you need for your beard. This is also an awesome gift for the bearded fellow in your life. So get up to 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 83Weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And be sure to use the promo code 83Weeks Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. Man, Manscaped has been bringing the noise here for a while, Eric. Uh, what about this Beard Hedger product? I know you don't need a Beard
2: Hedger, but a lot of our listeners do. I actually I have mine as well. In fact, uh, it, it showed up the, two days before the product was officially launched on Manscaped. So I shot a video, and now every time I see that come up in my social media, I post that video. Um, and at the time, I had like about a four-day growth, looked kind of like a... Looked a little rough. Let's just put it that way. So occasionally I'll grow a beard and I can't wait to use it. I probably won't now for a little bit, but uh yeah, I love it. And they're just great products. I love my Manscape products. Um I, You know, I just got a haircut. You can probably tell. Fresh cut, right? There you go. And I went in this time and the barber spent no time on my ears. Now, why also- does it matter? Why is it matter you say? Because a a while back, I realized that when I go in for a haircut, the barber would spend more time trimming the hair on my ears, in my ears, get a little thing going. and I'm thinking I'm paying this guy 35 bucks an hour to get the hair out of my ears. This is crazy. Now I've got my own tool. I could do it myself every single day. I don't have to walk around knowing. That there's a probability that somebody's going to be standing next to me in line that's going to be able to look inside my ear and see what looks like a small plant growing in there. It's horrible. Horrible. Abe Vagoda looking ears. Nobody wants Abe Vagoda looking ears. No, they don't. And now, because of manscape, I've got an ear, nose trimmer. I can keep it all just tight. And when I do grow a beard, I can grow that beard trimmer. So go to Manscaped, whether you have a beard or not, because they've got a ton of great products that'll get you over with your significant other. If you know what I mean, and just make you feel fresh and clean. It's a great, great variety of cool stuff.
0: 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Let's jump back into some Sherry talk here. Her last order of business on TV in the WWF is managing Ted DiBiase and Shawn Michaels at different points. From late 91 to early 93, Uh, she even played a major part in the storyline about the Rockers' breakup. Uh, From May to July of 93, she uh, returns to the ring in a series of matches against the newly arrived Luna Bichon. This only happens at house shows. Her last match is on July 10th, and it's a win over Luna by DQ in Seattle. And she said in 2004 that she left the WWF because the touring schedule made it impossible to hold a relationship. Worth mentioning, by this point, she'd been married three different times. Uh, She also confessed that drugs played a role. Quote, my mind was so focused on wrestling that everything else came second. Everything. That was including my ex, my family, everyone. I also got busted smoking marijuana and wouldn't quit. Drugs cost me a great job and personal friendships. At the time, I couldn't see how destructive I was. I thought drugs had made me perform better. I was stubborn. I didn't give a damn what anyone else said, even Vince McMahon. If I cared about things as much as I thought I did, I wouldn't have done those things. And man, that's, that's a lot to take in to read Sherry's words here from 2004, especially knowing how ultimately she lost her life. Uh, chat me up. What do you, um,
2: how do you reconcile what we just laid out there? I agree with you, man. It, it is a little rough hearing that, especially because we know what, what happens in her future at that point. But look, I, I think so many people that get caught up, first of all, in the wrestling industry, especially at that time, was the wild, wild west in many respects. You know, It wasn't the business that it is today. Trust me when I tell you that. And I wasn't around for, you know, I didn't come into it until late 80s. And and I think so many people, once you fall into that trap, whether you're dependent upon drugs or alcohol or a combination of it, and then you add to that the almost circus lifestyle of professional wrestling because it's all about travel. You're living on the road. Sherry talked about it in that excerpt that you read. You know, wrestling was everything. You're probably home one day out of 14 or 15 or two. And if you've been partying all the way through it, and sometimes look, I, I've done it myself, you know. You know, you kind of numb yourself to the parts of that business that you don't enjoy, whether it's the travel or being alone or just the grind of it. You know, at some point you need to kind of numb yourself to that part of it in order to keep going. And if you rely on drugs and alcohol to kind of find that comfort zone it's not going to be long before things start really spiraling, but you don't see it as it's happening. The people around you do, but you don't see it. And the the part that really struck me there that Sherry said was she thought the drugs made her better. Yeah. And I've heard that so many times from people that I was close to, you know, got to take care of a little business before the bell rings, you know, it's just, and it really, it, it just numbs you. So you don't feel as much. And you think because you don't feel as much, the audience maybe isn't seeing through you or that you're performing better than you really are because of the state of mind you're in. I've heard that so many times. And why do I say all this? Because it's easy for me to see how it happens. Right. Having sampled it, I didn't live it. I wasn't a wrestler. So I didn't live a a wrestler's life on the road. But I saw enough of it and lived enough of it, and seen what, what I saw what people like Sherry went through. That I understand how it happens. It's just unfortunate that she didn't catch herself sooner, and and be able to control it. Because that's the other hard part of it, man. Once you let that stuff take over your life, it's not easy to give up drinking. It's not easy to give up drugs. It's probably the biggest challenge that most people will face in their lifetime in many respects um and it's unfortunate that she didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel you know in, a, in a, a more permanent way
0: you know when you, you you sort of said you had heard people say that that drugs made them feel like they were a better performer do you think that was from an anxiety standpoint like they were just in their head and they were nervous and it, it sort of calmed them down i mean we've heard a lot of people who would say that Alcohol maybe made them a more social person. It reduced their inhibitions. Is that it? Or is it more of a thought of, because I've heard other people who would say, boy, when I really want to have a creative thinking session, I need blah, blah, blah. Is it the creativity or anxiety?
2: I I, I guess it's different for everybody, right? Depends on what your issues are. What do you bring into the ring? I I think for a lot of people, it's just because you get that lift, you know, depending what you're doing. You know, I'm not here to promote stuff, but you know there are things that you can take and do. Some of them as pharmaceuticals, some of them not. That just enhances that state of euphoria and well-being, and that's probably why people think they're actually better than they are. If you're a stand-up comic and you rely on whatever it is to to, to get you out on stage, and maybe you think you're your best, maybe the audience isn't convinced of that, but you are. Um, I think the same is true with music. Why do, Why is it that so many performers, professional wrestlers, musicians, actors, actresses, why is it so many of them go down? Because of drugs and alcohol. It's the lifestyle being on the road. And it's that feeling that you need that crutch, whatever that is, either to calm you down just gonna do a shot at the kilo before I go out on stage, or to make you feel better than you otherwise feel, and maybe it's a pharmaceutical or something that's not a pharmaceutical to kind of elevate you in that respect. You're relying on something, and I think that something is different for everybody.
0: Sherry bounced around the next uh, year or so. She had some stints in the USWA, Smoky Mountain, and Eastern Championship Wrestling. In the USWA, she briefly reunited with Randy Savage in a feud against Jerry Lawler. And in Smoky Mountain, she's going to manage Tracy Smothers in a feud against Brian Lee and uh, Sonny, who at the time was known as Tammy Sitch. And she even wrestled a loser-against-spanked match against Jim Cornette. Very briefly, in the original ECW, she managed Shane Douglas. And she wraps up in uh, ECW in early 94, And she did an interview where she specifically said it was Kevin Sullivan and not Eric Bischoff that contacted her about coming into WCW quote, Kevin and Nancy were in ACW. They went down to WCW. I get a call from Gary Juster and he told me they were filming at Universal and they wanted me to come in. Now at this time, I think you're the executive producer. What do you recall about how Sherry came into WCW?
2: I was executive producer and I think by this time I was senior vice president and I had a little bit more to do with talent acquisition at this point. Not booking, not creative, but talent acquisition. And Kevin would have come to me and I would have approved it and we were off and running. What do I remember? I remember very specific. I don't think I talked to Sherry much. I may not have even had a conversation with her when she first came in. Um, I remember seeing her for the first time in person, probably since I left the AWA or since she had left the AWA. Um, when I saw her in person, we were filming at the Disney MGM studios. We were going to be there for five or six or seven days shooting three or four shows a day was our schedule. And that was the first time Sherry came in was for a worldwide taping. <clears throat> And she walked in. Missy Hyatt was the was the lead female on the roster at that point, right? And Missy was doing a lot of things. She was doing stand ups and hosting different events and news centers and whatever. So she was doing a lot. But when she when Sherry walked in, Missy pitched a fit. Really? Oh my god! It was so embarrassing. I think I might've let her go. That may have been why I let Missy go. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was. And I, I was shocked. It's like, Whoa, what's your issue here? I mean, it was bizarre, but they, yeah, Sherry, Sherry made a big impression on Missy Hyatt for sure. I enjoy, you know, for me, I was a fan. I I went back to watching her, you know, And I watched her in AWA. I didn't watch her a lot in WWE because I wasn't watching a lot of WWE at that point. But I do, you know, I flash back to AWA and I loved her as a character then. And I was excited to have her on the team. So the
0: whole Missy Hyatt thing, she was just territorial,
2: you think? I guess it made no sense to me. I can't even assign any logic to it because it wasn't like Sherry was there to take her job. You know, she was there to, you know, add value, not replace someone um i don't i i can't i can't imagine what was going through missy's I, I think missy just didn't like the idea that there was going to be another woman there that's going to get some attention i guess i don't know what's,
0: what's your relationship like with missy in 2023 i don't
2: have one i mean i i don't have anything against her you know i i there's no animosity but i haven't seen her in person since WCW, I i don't talk to her on the phone or right. you know, communicate with her on social media or anything.
0: I like Missy, we should uh, we should get her on the show one day. Uh, um, sure,
2: I've had no problem, no problem doing that.
0: What What do you think about um, Gary Jester being the guy to, to make the call here? Would that
2: have been normal? I mean, that'd have been a normal course. No, of that's weird, that's weird because Gary worked on the arena side of the business, right? He didn't work with talent. He didn't work with bookers. He, uh, I don't know. Maybe Gary had her number and Kevin didn't. I don't know. (laughs) That's a weird one though. It's that's, it's it's like having somebody from the accounting department, you know, reach out to a writer, (laughs) but whatever.
0: Uh, what about, um, Kevin Sullivan, I mean, is, is he at this point, 94, does he have sort of carte blanche to reach out to talent like this? Or would this be something? Uh, No, no, no,
2: no. In 94, people forget. And part of it is because the narrative, you know, ATM Eric had Ted Turner's checkbook. That was courtesy of WWE spread that nonsense. When I took over WCW for the first two years, all I did was cut costs. First year was all about cutting costs.
0: Counting the pencils
2: counting pencils, making sure you understood what your resources were. So if you had too much of one thing and not enough of another, we could fix that. It was the reason that I made people do that. Um, but we were in a cost cutting mode at that point. Now, my budget had been gradually increased because I was hitting my goals. The internal goals that were set for me by finance, Turner finance, I was meeting and exceeding them. So as I, started having a little bit of success. Even before we started making any profit, I started having a little bit more latitude, certainly bringing in Hulk Hogan, which wasn't originally in the budget. I had to go to Ted separately for that because again, it wasn't an approved budget item, Uh, but those things were easier to accomplish. So bringing in names like Sherry uh, was getting easier for me to do. And she, you know, Sherry wasn't a high ticket item. She wasn't a mid-six-figure character for that matter, Um, so it wasn't that hard. But no, Kevin didn't have carte blanche, but it wasn't the hardest thing in the world for Kevin to do is to come over to my office and explain to me why he wanted someone, and if it made sense and there was room in the budget, then go do it. Listen,
0: guys, we've all been so focused on the big game this past weekend that maybe some of us forgot... It's Valentine's Day. Here's a little pro tip. Give the gift your loved one will truly be happy with this Valentine's Day. The giftbar.com universal gift card. It's good at thousands of participating merchants around the country. And by the way, this is a way to support local business owners by giving the giftbar.com universal gift card, whether they pick a local merchant or maybe they decide to use it while traveling to their favorite city. It's easy for that special person in your life to find the perfect place to enjoy this thoughtful gift from you. You can get pampered at hundreds of salons or spas, maybe go on a shopping trip at an antique clothing store, or even have some fun at an escape room. No gift is as versatile, personal, and guaranteed to please like the giftbar.com universal gift card. Guys, seriously, here's the deal. If you're looking for the perfect last minute gift for your sweetie, we got you covered and it doesn't get any better than this. Go to giftbar.com and give the giftbar.com universal gift card. It only takes seconds. It's good at thousands of merchants around the country, meaning they can get what they really want. She can use it at salons or spas or shopping or food or entertainment. They've even curated top local merchants so your loved one is guaranteed a great experience. You can even include a photo or a video and then send her the gift to her phone via text. Watch her smile from ear to ear. Save some time and make her happy. It's giftbar.com. And right now, if you use the promo code CONRAD, you'll get 15% off your entire purchase. That's code CONRAD to save 15% off and get a perfect last-minute Valentine's day gift from GiftBar.com. the same interview with uh, Sherry. She says something like Kevin wanted me to work with Dave Sullivan, but that didn't go as well. So they put me with flair. Uh, when she comes in, did you have, you know, a, a, an idea for her or was it simply, we know she's talented. We'll find a spot for her.
2: No, I, I wasn't, I wasn't touching creative at that point. Um, so that wasn't my concern. I wanted to see how she was going to be used, but that was really Kevin at that point and and the creative team. That was their job to figure out how best to use her. My job was to provide the resources to bring in the talent that they wanted within a budget. So I didn't really think about how she was going to be used. And I certainly didn't stay awake at night coming up with ideas because that wasn't my role at that time.
0: Let's, um, Let's talk about her early impressions of you. In this same interview, she said, I thought he was cute. He had that TV face. (laughs) Of course, I remember him from the AWA right as I was leaving. The slate between us at this point was clean. We had no problems. My initial thoughts of you being in power were that this could turn out to be something cool. He's willing to give me a chance. He was always straight up with me. Can you talk to us a little bit about your relationship here at the beginning of her WCW tenure, just you and her?
2: We didn't really have much of one. Um, I mean, I just, again, not to keep repeating it, but I wasn't involved with creative. Therefore I wasn't involved with the talent on, on show days. You know, my role was, was much different than that. So I didn't have a lot of interactions with her. And I think if she felt that I was straightforward, it was probably because I I wasn't a wrestling guy. And I typically am pretty straightforward and concise about things. And I think sometimes that comes, people that aren't used to that, sometimes are taken aback by it. And oftentimes feel like, wow, that's refreshing. (laughs) You know, Um, just because I, I was just clear and concise in my dealings with her, but we never really got into anything complex or personal. Um, so that her impression must've been kind of a, a first impression more than anything else.
0: She uh, had also said that maybe one of the things that had been discussed was maybe he, she gets back in the ring and has a feud with Medusa. Of course that would have been challenging at the time because Medusa was working with the WBF through late 95. Uh, but something else I found in my research, uh, sportster reported that there was a plan at the beginning of WCWs or Sherry's WCW run for her to manage Jean-Paul Levesque, who we know is going to go on to become triple H. You see, if you're watching over on YouTube, a photo of them together, man, what a pairing that could have been. We know Sherry was great with flair, but the idea that she could have also been triple H's manager, that could have been fun. Would have been fun.
2: Right? Would have been a lot of fun. I don't know how strong Paul was at that point in terms of promos. I think probably not. I, d- I doubt that he had really found his character at that point, and, and he was probably way more. He was very good in the ring, no question about that. But this, you know, he was still kind of fresh out of Killer Kowalski's camp at this point. Right? Didn't have a ton of experience, so I think Sherry would have added a lot of value to that that pairing. She 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 would have been very valuable for Paul.
0: She finally makes her WCW debut here on April 23rd on an episode of Saturday night. Of course, this is pre-Nitro. So this is the A show. She's going to debut under the name Sensuous Sherry. Mean Gene gives her a big welcome. And uh, they've got the big music and the big smoke. And then she comes out and gives Gene a big kiss on the lips. And she says she's come to WCW to, quote, find a man that can fulfill all of my needs, end quote, which, of course... Makes Gene fumble the mic like Gene classically did. And he would continue, or she would continue by saying my needs are to take a man to go and get the world championship belt. So this is fun stuff, but it does feel like it's from the WWF a handful of years earlier. Mean Gene and Sherry Martel. This is the criticism of WCW in this era, that there's a lot of WWE, former WWE talent coming in here using your old adage, best than, better than, less than, et cetera. This isn't necessarily different than, uh, what's the thinking in, let's try to collect as many of these WWF characters and put them on WCW programming? Is it just because they had the brand, they had the recognition, they had that equity with the audience, with the advertisers, or something else?
2: I mean, the, the thinking, it was obvious. And again, this was a creative direction headed up by Kevin and his team. And at that time, and even before that, as we've talked about it many times, man, WCW was WWE light. Their characters were bad imitations of WWE characters whenever they could, including me. We would bring in WWE talent because we wanted to bring in talent that had more audience equity, that were more over- had more exposure than we typically did at WCW. There was no thinking beyond that. You know, I, I didn't get into, look, I didn't get into the better than, less than, different than frame of mind until I walked out of Ted Turner's office with a mandate to go head to head with WWE. That's when I first came up with better than, different than. Because in 1994, I wasn't trying to compete with WWE. I was just trying to compete with WCW. I was trying to compete with profit and loss and by bringing in more talent and hopefully the idea being that we'd be able to generate more money in pay-per-view more money in live events. Eventually, that's why they were brought in. Now, if Kevin Sullivan had ideas beyond that, I, I might not have known about them been a part of those but for me it was like okay if we can bring in a piece this piece of a wwe puzzle because it's available and this is a very popular character that's been featured very prominently in wwe it made total sense to bring them in at that time
0: the the main genes and and the hulk hogan's and the rick Flairs, you know th- there's going to be a lot of talent for her to work with She's ringside for Rick's title defense against Barry Windham at Slambury 94. Windham was a surprise return here. He'd been away from WCW after he lost the title to flair in 93 and it's storyline, Colonel Robert Parker had been promising a surprise opponent for flair, which was revealed to be his old stablemate Barry, of course, Barry being a former member of the four horsemen. Windham even comes out to the horseman music. What do you remember about Wyndham's comeback here in '94?
2: You know, I don't remember much of it. It, it. I liked Barry a lot; still do. Ton of respect for Barry Wyndham. Ton of respect for Barry Wyndham. Really enjoyed him as a performer. Enjoyed him even more as someone to work with. He was just a good guy. Barry was another one of those guys when I first got to WCW that was very tight with Dusty, and and as a, as a result, I got to know. Barry pretty well, and we became pretty good friends um, at that point. So I was just happy to see Barry come back. I, I was just happy, you know. I did, I didn't have much of an opinion beyond that. But I do want to point out one more thing about Sherry first getting to WCW because it just occurred to me there was nobody that was a bigger supporter of Sherry than Rick Flair. Yeah, Rick Flair loved working with Sherry, which just made it that much easier, you know, not, not that I needed to justify it, but there was a much greater comfort level just because Rick was so excited about it. He loved working with her.
0: We, uh, we should note flair pins Wyndham. Uh, we don't see Sherry get involved. So she's here, but not really doing much. Um, but the idea of her with flair just makes a lot of sense on, and it, you know what
2: it does not it doesn't though. Right. Because typically you think, well, you get somebody like Sherry. We talked about it with Booker and Harlem Heat, Booker and, and Stevie Ray and Harlem Heat early on when they were still learning and getting better and better and better at their craft. But before they got better and better and better, they were just kind of okay. And Sherry really filled a role there because she was that she could do it. She could pull it off. I don't think Ric Flair needed somebody.
0: Well you know what I mean. I don't think Savage did either, but I think no. them together.
2: It's Man, a visual. Makes,
0: yeah, it is a visual. Well said. Uh, th- the big moment that we see Sherry start to get involved in a much bigger way is June 23rd. The world champion is Ric Flair and Sting is the international champion. And they're going to u- unify those titles at the clash of the champions here. And right as the match is about to start, the music kicks, and Sherry comes to the ring, hiding her face behind a mask when she removes the mask. It reveals that she's painted her face up like Sting. <laughs> Later in the match, Sting is going to slingshot himself over the top rope, but Flair puts Sherry in front of himself. Sherry goes down, and Flair scores the roll up pinfall off of the distraction. Then she gets in the ring and embraces Flair, and then they attack Sting. Hogan, who had just arrived in WCW that day, makes the save. Let's just recap here. Big debut for Hulk Hogan the world champ wrestling the international champ the two biggest most well-branded wcw stars of all time sting and flair are unifying the title and the fourth member of this party is sherry that's a vote of confidence right there is it not indeed it is indeed
2: and, and i bet that was all rick flair
0: yeah the uh the physicality here you know, this is something that if it was happening to miss Elizabeth or someone else, maybe there would have been people who were concerned, but Sherry being a former wrestler, she was comfortable with all that. Right.
2: Not only comfortable with it it was probably chomping at the bit to get in and do it. She could bump Sherry. could She was so physically tough. Again, fearless man. She could care less. She wanted to take those bumps. She wanted to climb up to the top of a cage in a, pair of high heels and a tight dress only to come crashing down in the middle. She wanted to do that stuff, she was good at it.
0: So let's talk a little bit about, um, Turner was Turner hesitant to have males working with females like this, like any
2: sort of physicality with a male and uh, a man and a woman. Absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely. You know, it was, so it was, that was a glorious time. For me, at least in WCW, because, honest to gosh, when I got made an executive producer, I think in '93, right, February of '93. By '94, I was a senior vice president or vice whatever I was. I can't remember, but I, I started to get more and more control of things and and more involvement in things. Um, Turner, I was left alone nobody bothered me about anything. Now I had a budget that would, they, they bothered me a lot about that, but that was, a, you know, we met on a regular basis. And as long as I was within my budget, um, nobody messed with me. Nobody questioned anything creatively. Now I, I was careful not to do some of the things that others had done before me that I knew brought negative attention. I knew where the, I knew where the rails were and how to stay within them. Um, But other than, other than, you know, financial discussions on a regular basis, just to make sure that we were on budget throughout the year, I never got a call from anybody about the, about the content itself. That didn't happen until 98. So for, from about 94 to 98, Bill Shaw left me alone when Bill Shaw was my boss, as long as I performed as long as there was no negative PR, as long as there were no headlines, and and as long as the shows continued to do well, and as long as I stayed within my budget, I so, I wouldn't hear from people for weeks on end. And, and I say this not to brag, but I think it reflects the confidence that Turner eventually had in me by 94, 95. I had signing ability. I could approve anything up, to, up to, and including $1 million. If it was one million and one dollars, then I had to kick it upstairs to get up, get approval, even if it was within the budget, but anything up to and including a million bucks, I didn't even have to pick up the phone and ask anybody for as long as it was in the budget. Wow. And that was it, man, that nobody bothered me. And that was such a, it was, it was a great time. To be in the wrestling business, um, I you know it's a lot harder now. There, things have changed. Television's changed. Advertisers, everything's changed, um, and it's a little bit more difficult now. Uh, I wouldn't want to be producing TV today with some of the restrictions and limitations that are on you. Not just not only from a network, but from a common sense perspective, because you can't afford to irritate an advertiser. You got to be a little careful in today's environment be a lot harder. You don't have as many colors to paint with. You maybe only have five or six colors instead of 10 or 12 because things have just gotten so much more sanitized, even within professional wrestling.
0: Well, I'll tell you something else that's gotten a lot harder, and that's sticking to those New Year's resolutions. Uh, we're uh, one month down. How are you doing on those 2023 resolutions? If one of them was to start eating better, let me make it a little easier for you get america's number one ready to eat meal kit start saving time eating well and living your best year yet maybe you're too busy to cook well with factor you can skip the uh, trip to the grocery store as a matter of fact you can skip the chopping the prepping and the cleaning up too factors fresh never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes so all you have to do is heat and enjoy no matter your lifestyle factor has delicious flavor-packed meals to help you live it to the fullest with keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and protein plus options on the menu each week. All of the meals are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, so each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. And there's 34 different weekly options, meaning there's always something new to try, and they've got over 36 different sweets and smoothies and juices and everything else to round out your routine. Maybe you're looking to cut back on takeout. Well, why not get Factor instead? Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but the meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery. How do you beat two minutes? You don't. By the way, eating vegan and veggie is a snap with Factor. And because all of these meals are prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, you know that every Factor meal has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't want. So if you're looking to mix it up, you can even add protein to your vegan and veggie meals each week. So get factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head now to factormeals.com slash 83 weeks 50 and use code 83 weeks 50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code 83 weeks 50 at factormeals.com slash 83weeks50 to get 50% off your first box. So we see uh, some more familiar spots that we've seen from the WWF, but now on the WCW side of things with Sherry, she's going to aid Flair against Hogan at Bash at the Beach, and then their big blow-off match at Halloween Havoc. And that's where we would see her even climb the cage to help Flair and in the process gets her dress pulled off by Jimmy Hart, who's Hogan's manager at the time. She's dangling from the cage here in black lingerie. She had done a very similar spot with the Warrior over in the WWF. But she's a badass here, a consummate heel, seems like a team player. Uh, But you said earlier she didn't necessarily flaunt her sexuality, but she wasn't above using it in a match like this. Any hesitation about dangling around in lingerie here on pay-per-view?
2: No, pay per view was always kind of like, uh, I mean, you couldn't go too far on a pay per view because it was still brand associated, you know, still a WCW brand, is still a Turner product. But you'd have to go, you'd have to go to an extreme to get a phone call on pay per view. You know, blood was one thing because it was a hot topic, thanks to Vince McMahon's personal PR campaign, yes, and letter writing efforts to, to Ted Turner, but um. Now, when it came to you know, look at it, it was tasteful. I mean, she, if you watched uh, Olympic ice skating, you know, the women there dressed the same as Sherry was hanging off a cage. So it, it w- really wasn't that provocative.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, what's next for Sherry, because that Halloween havoc match is a retirement match for flair. So with him off of TV, at least for a while, we need something for Sherry to do. So from the latter part of 94 through early 97, she's going to transition to become the Harlem heats manager using the name sister Sherry. So she's going to develop a more tougher, more streetwise persona and manage Booker T and Stevie Ray to seven tag title reigns. Um, Whose idea was it to put her with Harlem heat? Like on paper, transitioning from Flair to Harlem heat doesn't make any sense, but somehow it
2: worked. I don't know. I would, I I don't, who would, I mean, obviously I would start with Kevin Sullivan. I may or may not have been involved in that conversation at that point. I don't think so. Um, So I'd say it was Kevin, you know, and Kevin probably had three or four people that he collaborated with. So it wasn't probably solely Kevin's idea, but um, I would imagine that it was Kevin Sullivan and and company.
0: Let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Listen, it is what it is. There were some people who thought that there was uh, racial overtones to having a white woman manage two black men. I don't think that would even be discussed now, but back then it probably was a little more.
2: Is that even something that crossed your mind? No, it is bizarre, isn't it? I mean, that in and of itself would be a racist perspective, in my opinion. Yes. If that's the first thing you see. Is that that's really the first thing you see? And maybe look, is it obvious? Of course. Yeah. But why would it matter? Right. Unless you've got an issue <laughs> that you're trying to hide or project onto somebody else. That's just weird to me. Just weird to me.
0: It is weird. And but you know, here's the here's the thing. This is the era where I mean even the Harlem Heat debut, they're out there and changed. So I'm not saying that those type of racial overtones didn't exist, but the idea it never clicked for me until much later when I started to do, you know, research for these type pods. And I saw where people thought that was weird as a fan watching at the time. It was, oh, well, she's their manager. And that was it. Well, you
2: know what? Uh, maybe, maybe the, maybe the heightened sensitivity to the issue was a result of the way, cause it was pretty controversial with Harlem heat. I mean, Everybody knew about it. All the dirt sheets were writing about it when it came out in chains and all the issues that that created. So it wasn't like it was a secret from the, the dirt sheet universe at the time. The regular audience had no idea. You know, the other 90 at that point, probably 99.8%. percent were not aware of any of that. But enough people were that it was probably a topic of conversation. And that's more than likely. I'm guessing why somebody might have been so quick to point that out as being potentially – incentivized by some racist perspective somehow i don't know just guessing
0: well i mean i think that's logical i, I hadn't even considered that but yeah if you start with chains they're going to look at everything after that that way uh harlem heat starts feuding with uh dirty dick slater and uh, bunkhouse buck of the Stud stable uh they're of course managed by colonel robert parker and the rivalry allowed sherry to get back in the ring it's August of 95 when she teams with Harlem Heat to defeat the stud stable and Colonel Robert Parker at Clash of the Champions. Do you remember her being excited about being back in the ring or is this something that, you know, was just another day at the office for her?
2: I, you know, I don't remember specifically that she. Here's the hard thing about, you know, going back and remembering the, this type of thing with Sherry she was always pretty up. Now, I'm sure there were times when she wasn't, but in my interactions with her, at least at this point, it was like every day is a new opportunity. Any idea you have for me, I'm going to, she was going to go out and make it work to the best of her ability. She wasn't the type of person, at least that I saw when it came to creative or television, that was anything other than a hundred percent into whatever she was doing. I couldn't tell if she was excited about it or hated it because she delivered at the same level in either case. I only remember her being excited, but she was excited all the time when it came to TV and an opportunity to do something on television. She loved performing, and, it, and I think that kind of overshadowed any lack of enthusiasm about a particular creative scene she was in. She was just excited to be on TV and perform.
0: I uh, I got to ask. At this point, had you, you know, we're a year and change into this. Had you noticed that her, well, I, we talked about it earlier. We'll just say it plainly. Her substance issues had reared their head at all. Had they affected her performance, at least in your mind by this point, or not so
2: much? Not at that point. No. Okay.
0: Eventually, there's a pretty fun storyline that I know you really dug. Sherry and Colonel Robert Parker start an on screen romance that leaves both teams upset. Parker even abandons the stud stable to act as Harlem heat's promoter. And finally Sherry and Parker are set to marry when a returning Medusa attacks Sherry and reveals that she was Parker's wife. And this led to a one-off match January 29th, 1996 on nitro where Sherry would defeat Medusa in a minute and 48 seconds. We've talked a little bit about this silliness with Colonel Robert Parker and Sherry before, And listen, it is tongue in cheek. It is campy, but it's almost so bad. It's good because you can tell those two are having fun. Right.
2: And there's room for that. You know, not everything has to be an intense story with drama and all the things that we love. Not everything has to be a bloodline story. In fact, if everything on your show was a bloodline level story, nothing would stand out. Yes. You've got to have some fun in there too. And it's okay to be campy when campy's fun and campy's good. And with Parker and Sherry, I I don't know. If there was an Academy Award for campy skits, they would have gotten them. They were funny as hell together because you hit it. You said the magic words, man. They were having fun together. And when your talent is having fun, more often than not, so is the audience watching. It was, I thought it was perfect. Comedy relief. You need comedy relief in a show. You can't all be life or death.
0: Not, not disparaging Medusa, but what do you think of Medusa as the swerve? To me, it was just like, eh, I wish we could have did something else.
2: Um, yeah, the whole Medusa comes back and claims she was Robert Parker's husband, a wife.
0: That, that's weak.
2: That's about as lame as it gets.
0: Yeah, not not against Medusa, just storyline. Oh,
2: no, Medusa didn't come in with that idea. Oh no, so she got that idea given to her when she walked through the door, and yeah. it was lame. Yeah, whoever, whoever she should have smacked whoever laid that storyline out to her.
0: The on again, off again relationship with Sherry and Parker continues through the rest of '96, and after they break up, Parker starts to manage the amazing French Canadians. And a stipulation was made that if Harlem Heat would defeat the Canadians at World War Three that November, Sherry gets five minutes alone in the ring with Parker, Harlem Heat win, and of course, Sherry just decimates Parker and that uh, Rougeau helps Parker back to the locker room. This is one of, crazily enough, the longest stories WCW did. Mm-hmm. It seemed to revolve primarily around Sherry and Parker. Was it something Sullivan enjoyed booking? You found entertaining. They liked doing. Why did
2: this get the legs it got? Probably all the above. You know, when I think you've probably heard this saying. I don't even know if it's a saying, but I'm sure you've heard something similar to, if you can, if you can entertain everybody watching in the back, you know, all the other talents and the producers and the writers and the team backstage. If you can entertain that part of the audience then the rest of it's pretty easy. And Sherry and Colonel Parker and everybody involved in everything she did were entertaining as hell. And I'm pretty sure everybody behind the curtain was watching everything she did because it was that entertaining, which is probably why it lasted that long. Nobody wanted to finish it.
0: Did you think it was ratings that it drew money or was it just a fun TV segment?
2: I don't think it, you know. I don't think people tuned in for it, right? But I think people were glad to see it when they tuned in. If that makes it sense, it does. It does.
0: Uh, let's talk about Sherry. Uh, she's going to continue managing the Harlem Heat, and that goes until mid nineteen ninety seven. And not too long ago, Stevie Ray did an interview where he talked about Harlem Heat separating from Sister Sherry. He said, "quote I'll never forget it." I remember we were in Memphis, Tennessee at a nitro. This would have been July 7th, 1997. And they told us Sherry wasn't with the company anymore. Nobody told us anything until we got to the building to this day. I think that was one of the most disrespectful things I've ever been through. Sherry was a big part of Harlem heat. They never told us why to this day. I still don't know. I was like, if that's all the respect we got in this company, I didn't really give a shit. So. He's upset that he wasn't communicated with. You were there. What was the reason that Sherry was no longer with Harlem Heat, and sadly, no longer
2: with WCW? This is the first time that I heard that Booker felt that way, and that's Stevie. Oh, I'm sorry, Stevie. And I feel bad about that. I that's a that falls on me. <clears throat> Falls well, on Kevin too, but mostly me. Um, damn. Uh why it it Sherry sure, had challenges and it was becoming more and more obvious and unmanageable. And it got to the point where it was a liability. There you go probably had something to do with why there wasn't a lot of talk about it. It's not something that you go spreading around when you have to let someone go. doesn't mean that we shouldn't have pulled Booker and Stevie aside and given them a heads up under the circumstances. There's no excuse for that. But we could have done that without going into a lot of specific detail.
0: Uh, She did an interview in 2004, and she had this to say, Eric thought I was doing things. I got back to the drugs again, He pulled me in the office one day. This was right after my mother had threatened to have me committed because I had a drug problem. I go right into Eric's office and he says, Sherry, we have the facilities and the means to help you. Do you have a drug problem? I looked him right in the face and told him no. Regardless of whether or not I regret that, I can't change it. Do you remember this conversation?
2: Mm, I don't remember the specifics of it. No, but I do remember sitting down with Sherry before I pulled the trigger.
0: She's talked about it here and acknowledged that it was drugs. Are you comfortable sharing your side of the story?
2: I I mean, there's not much to tell. It was obvious. You can, you know, it wasn't just drugs. It was drugs and alcohol and the drugs were obvious to me. You know, it, it wasn't in the beginning, you know, when I, 93, 94, I heard of all the things that people were using and I wasn't naive. I dabbled a little bit before I got into the wrestling business even. The 80s were a fun time (laughs) for someone in their early 30s uh, or late 20s. But, you know, I didn't have a lot of firsthand experience with it, especially prescription stuff. It wasn't until later on. And certainly by this time, we're talking about here it was pretty you could look at somebody and tell when you're on something if they're on perks or oxy oxy wasn't a big issue back then but certainly perks were vicodin and and you would see that you could tell when people were combining them so it was obvious it wasn't a secret you could smell her coming a mile away you're in a conversation with somebody in a backstage area and they've been drinking most of the afternoon and taking pills on top of it to kind of counterbalance the drinking. And I am, it's not like, it's hard to tell. And it just gotten to the point where it's so obvious. I couldn't look, I look the other way sometimes, you know, if, if, if I noticed somebody had alcohol their breath or whatever, depending on the situation, hell, I drank beer backstage occasionally, more than occasionally after I was done working or maybe even during, depending on what the situation, but there's a difference between having a beer or two and drinking heavily and going out and performing. Those are two different things. And she wasn't alone by the way, nor was she singled out. It just got to the point where even when I wanted to, I couldn't pretend I didn't see it.
0: Oh man, it's, it's, is that your least favorite thing you ever had to do in WCW? Let talent go. I hated it. Yeah,
2: except for Honky Tongue Man, but I hated it. Look, it's really funny how, again, going back to narratives, right? Um, I, I for a long time I was it was like two there was there were two ways I was portrayed. Like I would read things, not not so much. Recently, but in the you know, back in the early nineties, mid nineties, you know, Eric Bischoff will listen to whoever talks to him last. You know, like I was so, come on, guys, come on. You know, I was so malleable, I guess, and easily manipulated. You know, because I wanted and I wanted to be friends with the boys. That was Dave Meltzer's, you know, all he wants to do is be friends with the boys, which is again kind of rejecting a little bit, do you think, Dave? Which is not true. I am not, as you know, I'm not a real social person. I need a lot of friends around me. <laughs> you know, I have one or two, maybe three, and then the, I just want to be left alone. <laughs> you know, I'm not a—I'm not that guy. But that was the narrative, and then there was the, the flip side of that, which is exactly the opposite. Is I enjoyed firing people. I was power hungry, and I had a big ego, and I treated people with disrespect. And blah, blah, blah. my biggest mistake in WCW was not firing more people there were people I should have let go, not so much talent, but there were people that I should have let go when I took over and was really in control of WCW, not 93, not 94, but by 95 and 96, I had complete control and I kept people on cause I didn't want to fire them. I, you know, there were certain people that I went, ah, not really the best at what they do. And, but I don't want to be the person to, force them into unemployment or make them go find a job or, or hurt them financially. So I tolerated a lot of things I should have never tolerated. I accepted a lot of mediocrity at a point in time when we should have been doing everything that we could to build the infrastructure to support this juggernaut that we created creatively. It's, you know, the wrestling business is a complex business. It's not as simple as a lot of other businesses. And, you know, we, like just timing and whatever, you know, by 96, we exploded, but we didn't have the infrastructure to support that growth. It's kind of like putting an 800 horsepower Hemi in a Dodge Dart. that wasn't built for it. Yeah, it goes fast until it blows up and falls apart and the wheels fall off. But that's basically what happened. And part of that was, you know, people say, well, man, you didn't make as much money in licensing and merchandising. Chris Jericho always made fun of how screwed up, and he was right. He it was, it wasn't wrong, but how just unorganized and dysfunctional our licensing was with, with vendors, and that's because we took off like a we were that 800-horsepower Hemi on TV, but we were a 68-Dodge Dart that's all rusted out when it came to the backside of the store the back end of the business, the functional, you know, the logistical side of the business. And the same held true with, with talent in general. I never wanted to fire talent. It had to be pretty egregious or a budget situation. Um,
0: How did you end the conversation? How, How do you remember her response being, when you're having to sit down and give her this unfortunate news, it sounds like you offered her help when she said she didn't need help or whatever, however it was, we didn't acknowledge or admit that we had a problem uh, and didn't take your help. Then you have to let her go. Is there a big blow up or does she stand up and thank you, shake your hand and out the door she goes or what's that like? Um,
2: there was no blow up, none at all. It was not adversarial. She was not happy about it, but she was steadfast in her position and that she didn't need any help. And if I had to let her go, so be it. It was pretty matter of fact. It wasn't, it was yelling or screaming or calling each other names or anything like that.
0: Did you do this at, uh, when it says the office, does she mean the TV office like where you had an office inside a building or did you call it Atlanta?
2: I I don't remember if it was on the road or if it was in the CNN center. I, I tend to think it was on the road because Sherry wouldn't have otherwise been in the CNN center where my office was. Right. Um, So I'm 90% sure it was on the road.
0: Did you have any conversation with her after that?
2: No, I didn't. I feel bad about that too. I should have reached out, should have stayed in touch. If nothing else, Because if she would have gotten herself clean, she would have been such a great asset. Yeah. You know, um, I didn't have a personal relationship with her. It's not like we hung out. We weren't friendly. I mean, we were friendly, but we weren't friends. You know what I mean? Outside of TV or anything like that. But it's still, as as the guy that she worked for that had to fire, it would have been a smart move for me to stay in touch. It would have been the right, forget about smart. It would have been a good thing for, for me to do, and I didn't.
0: She had this to say for so many years, I dogged Eric Bischoff. I had so much resentment for him because at the point in time I had the drug problem, the very things he was getting on me for, he was allowing others to do. But today, because of what Eric Bischoff did and the actions he took, I might not be here for that. I'm grateful.
2: That's nice to hear.
0: Um. You acknowledge that others were partying. Maybe she just got a little too close to the sun. She was taking
2: a little too far. Yes. And they were, and she was right about that. There were people who were doing some of the things that she was doing partaking, but f- with a couple exceptions, Scott Hall being one, um, it didn't have an obvious impact on their work, nor was it obvious to me o- and or others Backstage, the people's—you know—because talent, you know, it's not like even at at the peak of of you know, 97, 98, late ninety-six, whatever. When we were rocking and rolling, and things were just happening, there would be things going on backstage that I wasn't necessarily aware of. I couldn't be in every every room. I couldn't be. I, I couldn't have contact with probably 65 to 75 talents, a production crew of 60 or 70 on location. Um, I wasn't involved in every aspect of everything that went on. It's impossible for anyone to be. Yeah. So there were things that were going on backstage sometimes that I was not directly aware of. There were things going on backstage that I was aware of. And some of it, I let it go. If it didn't interfere with work, if employees weren't bringing it to my attention, meaning full-time staff or production teams, you know, if they came to me and said, look, I'm just having a hard problem getting this person to come and do a pre-tape because they're backstage snorting, popping, drinking, doing whatever. Um, Then I got an issue and now it's, now it's my problem. So for Sherry to say there were people backstage doing some of the things that she was doing, she was true. That was true. She was being honest. What she probably didn't realize while she was doing, while she was doing all that was that it wasn't affecting their work or I wasn't hearing about it from production teams or employees there. Now you've crossed over a line where Eric can't pretend it's not an issue anymore. That's what happened.
0: Well, we know that she's going to come back to uh, the independence and she'll even pop back up on WCW programming, uh, even sold out. 2000. This all happens when you're out of the company. And uh, when you're back in April of 2000, we don't really see her again in WCW. By 2003, she was living in Tennessee and remodeling uh, houses with her husband. And we would see her pop up for a cup of coffee in the WWF in 2005. She's going to be a fantastic part of this Shawn Michaels Kurt Angle feud. She's going to sing Sexy Kurt as a parody of Shawn Michaels' old theme, Sexy Boy just great stuff. And then a year later in 2006, she takes her rightful place in the WWE hall of fame as Ted DiBiase inductor and a pretty memorable moment in the speech. She mentions you not realizing you're in the crowd. That had to make you smile, to get a shout out from
2: Sherry from the stage. Yeah. I just saw that clip actually a couple of weeks ago. Somebody showed it to me and cause I forgot all about it. I like so many things, you know, and uh, somebody showed me that clip, and it, it made me smile. Yeah, you know, Lori was with me, and Lori's like going, man, why is she saying all this? <laughs> you know, I got a bigger kick out of watching Lori's expression back then than anything else. But, no, it was nice. It was, it was a real um, organic moment in her speech for the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, it was nice. We acknowledged each other.
0: Super fun moment. She makes her last, uh, television appearance that same year. It's for TNA. It's a vignette that airs on September 21st and in the vignette, she's trying to convince Bobby rude that he should take her on as his manager. Did you ever, um, spend any time talking with Rick or Hulk or Randy or any of these big superstars? She was such a big part of their career about what made her so special. Eric.
2: No, I, I didn't because I think I knew by then. I mean, just talking about her today, I mean, I think everybody that's listening to this can get a sense of how I felt about her as a performer before I even started working with her. So I I never asked anybody else what made her so special because I just, I think I had my own strong opinion. opinions. And by the way, you asked me a few moments ago, did I ever speak to her after that time I let her go? Actually, I did once. And I, forgot, I forgot about this until just a second. Um, I was at an event of some, I think it was a convention. I don't remember where or exactly when, but it was only a year or so before she passed. And we sat down and she wasn't drinking. I think she was with her son, actually. And she wasn't drinking. So I sat down and uh, we had a nice long chat. I don't know, maybe 45 minutes or an hour and got caught up and she was very, she was grateful. I don't know if she said those words, but she was very, she was very much at peace. Let's put it that way. There was no, I'd like to talk to you about why you let me go. And why did you let other people do what I, you know, there's none of that. Right. It was just a very pleasant cordial, positive conversation. And I remember walking away and I told Lori, Lori was with me and I told Lori, it was like, wow, you know, you love to see that happen because more often than not, it doesn't, right? The stories usually end well, and this one did, unfortunately, a year later, but or so, but at that point in time, I thought, wow, she's got it together. You know, she's with her son. She's sober. You know, I, we sat down in a lobby of a bar and she wasn't drinking. It's like, wow, this is awesome. It was awesome.
0: Unfortunately, nine months after she does this TNA vignette, uh, June 15th, she's discovered at her mom's home in rural Alabama. She's no longer with us and only 49 years old. Wow. The toxicology report showed an overdose on multiple drugs. She wound up being, uh, cremated, but man, 49 goodness gracious. Um, it's a kid. Going weird way too soon yes
2: i mean we see you know you see so many great performers now they're in their 40s some of them in their 50s and they keep getting better yes you know i mean it's like wow you know what they what they may have lost a little bit physically they've learned so much and they're actually better characters and better performers so when well, they maybe lost a half a step in one regard they've gained four steps in another and 49 she still had she still had gas in the tank man she could have she was that great a performer.
0: Well, something I want to, uh, talk to everybody about today is a new sponsor on the program. Something that you have, uh, tried yourself mind bloom. Uh, yeah, here's the deal. There's no quick fix for anxiety or depression. It's not finding a new therapist or starting a new exercise routine, not more in regular meditation or a better diet. Sometimes you need something to unlock your brain a new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And maybe that thing is guided ketamine therapy with MindBloom. There's a new tool to improve your mental health, at-home ketamine therapy. MindBloom is the leader in at-home ketamine therapy, having safely helped thousands of people overcome their anxiety and depression. And unlike traditional talk therapy, ketamine works quickly and doesn't have the unpleasant side effects of traditional antidepressants. In a study of over 1,200 MindBloom clients, 89% reported improvements in their anxiety and depression after only two sessions. Eric, uh,
2: I know you've tried MindBloom. What would you think? Strongly encourage people to explore this option. And I'm, I'm going to be really careful here because I have very strong feelings about pharmaceuticals and I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I'm just a guy who pays attention and who reads and who tries to learn. And I think anytime anybody has an issue with depression, for example, seeing a therapist talking to a professional, smart way to go, alternative solutions, in my opinion, as a non-expert, but a pretty smart guy when it comes to this stuff, is that you owe it to yourself or a family member to explore options beyond pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals can become the problem and more of a problem than the symptom that the pharmaceutical is trying to fix. We've all heard the stories. You owe it to yourself to reach out to MindBloom and at least explore. Talk to somebody and do not be afraid of alternative therapies to pharmaceuticals. Strongly encourage it.
0: Check it out. I think you'll be glad you did. Uh, Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at MindBloom.com slash 83weeks. And use the promo code 83Weeks. Take the first step and break free from your anxiety and depression with MindBloom. That's mindbloom.com slash 83Weeks and use the promo code 83Weeks. Eric, getting back to Sherry, how would you characterize Sherry's legacy all these years later? Fearless. Do you think, um, Do you think history remembers her as fondly as they should, or is she one of these great, almost forgotten characters? Uh,
2: I guess because I felt so strongly about her as a performer, as a character, I feel like she should get more attention than she does. Um, and I think history will will always look back at Sherry fondly because her performance speaks louder than anything else that we talked about today. You know, we covered some of the the challenges that she had and they were very negative situations, but her, what people will remember is what they see on Peacock and what they're going to see when they go back and look at some of these memorable moments that she was a part of, whether it was with Ric Flair or whoever, they'll remember that and that will become her legacy as it should, by the way, because the larger part of her life was being a great performer as compared to a, a dark period in her life, which is a relatively short period compared to the rest of the things she accomplished. I think, I think her legacy is, is, is going to be just fine. The more people go back and watch her.
0: Do you have a favorite Sherry story you can share with us?
2: I don't. I, my favorite story is anytime I heard her laugh.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, she, she just, there's certain people that they just have, just have, have a way about them that when they break out in laughter, it's just like, even if I'm in a bad mood, I'm going to start laughing. I'm going to laugh with them. Even if I don't know why they're laughing. She had one of those laughs and she had that, and it wasn't just her laugh. Her laugh was an example of her, but she was just, she loved life. Yeah. She, when I saw her, when I worked with her, when I was around her until the end, she had just such a passion for, life and for performing that that superseded everything else about her to me.
0: Let's do some questions. Then we'll wrap up our Sherry episode here. Adam Leeson wants to know what made Sherry so important when she managed Harlem heat, does Eric ever consider building a women's division in WCW and build it around Sherry?
2: I think Adam, we kind of touched on this a little bit. You know, why was she important to Harlem heat? Because she was so much better on the mic than they were at that time. Again, don't take that as a criticism of them, but they got, you know, Booker T has gone on to be one of the best, but he wasn't one of the best back then. And Sherry filled that gap and and added just a layer of entertainment to that story or to that, to, to, to those characters. Um That's why she was important. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, there just weren't enough women around unless I wanted to, you know, own a jet and fly them back and forth on a regular basis from Japan. You know, things have changed now, fortunately for everybody, for the fans, for the talent, for the promoters and producers, there's more women available now, but there wasn't that. So no, I wasn't interested in trying to create a women's division that I couldn't fill a roster with.
0: Francis Reyes wants to know how smart was she behind the scenes with
2: talent? I don't know how smart she was. Again, I didn't work with her that much, you know, to to really get a sense of that. I would say she was very smart based on her ability to get herself over and and consistently. She was consistently good. I don't know that she's ever had a bad promo. I don't know that she's ever had on a scale of 1 to 10 anything less than a 7 or an 8. So you can't get that good at what you do without being pretty smart about what you're doing. Um, so I think I'd have to by default. So she was incredibly smart, but I, I, you know, I didn't listen to her layout matches. I didn't work with her on her promos. So I don't know what her individual process was. Everybody's got their own process. I don't know what hers was, but based on her abilities and what we saw, she had to be very, very smart.
0: No doubt. Uh, Peter D says, hi, Eric. She had the reputation of being tough Hear Any backstage stories proving this? You ever hear anything uh, about Sherry scrapping or being tough?
2: No, but I, you know, I, I remember you know listening to guys like Rick Flair who would, you know, if she was if, if, and this is just Rick telling stories and you know how great he is at telling stories. <clears throat> Not that it, I didn't think they were absolutely true, but you know, Rick is just such a colorful storyteller. But you know, you'd hear those stories about oh, I was in a ring with Sherry and we had a spot where she had to slap me. Oh, my God, I'd rather get punched in the head by Ming than slapped by Sherry. That type of thing. You know, I heard that a lot. And just watching her, you know, I mean, she was very, very physical.
0: Reese has a great second question. He says, in Eric's opinion, what was the best managerial stint Sherry had and why?
2: I think based on the impact it had on the talent and the business, Harlem heat.
0: Wow. I would go savage, but I hear you on Harlem. Heat. I savage mean, look was
2: Savage was already there. Yeah. Harlem heat was emerging. And I yeah. think she had a lot to do with their success.
0: Uh, crazy JJ wants to know, Eric, was there ever any ideas thrown out to have Sherry
2: join the NWO? Not to me. Doesn't mean it wasn't discussed. In rooms that I wasn't in, right. or in cars I wasn't in, or the bar I wasn't at, uh, but not not with not that I was a part of.
0: Tony Roth has a great question about modern stuff. He says, "Which current WWE female superstar resembles Sherry Martel, and why?" Let's remove the WWE piece and let's just say, "Is there a modern talent that is reminiscent to
2: you of Sherry?" You know who does in a way. Who is Becky Lynch? Really. In in terms of Becky's believability when she does a promo, now, I'm not as big a fan of Becky Lynch's new character as of the last year. You know, she's kind of rock-starred out a little bit. I kind of dug her when she was, like, blue-collar Betty, or Becky Lynch, if that makes sense. But there's something so real and believable about Becky's promos that, and and Becky's physical. She doesn't. She she'll mix it up. Do you ever see those videos, like on Instagram or Facebook, you know, if you hit the reels and you see you see these high school kids getting fights in cafeteria? But every once in a while, you come across two women are just going at it, and one of them's just beating the hell out of the other. It always reminds me of Becky Lynch or, or and or Sherry. I mean, it's like you'd make the mistake of, 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 of getting into it with one of those two. And you would just be so upset with yourself for doing it <laughs> because you get your ass kicked, Becky, not as much as Sherry. I think Sherry was a little more physically imposing, but yeah, they kind of remind me a little bit of each other.
0: Let's uh, listen. We got lots of questions in this vein. I don't really know the most appropriate way to ask, so I'm just going to ask. Do you know if Sherry had any relationships with WCW wrestlers?
2: I don't know. Yeah. I never came up in a conversation. I I don't know. Well, here's what you, you know, I mean, look, guys that knew her much longer and certainly much better and traveled with her and you know lived on a road with her. They could probably answer a question like that, but I, I can't.
0: Well, we know you're going to be able to answer questions next week. When we're talking about super brawl eight, we're finally, hopefully, thankfully going to get some resolution to the sting Hollywood Hogan debacle that started back at Starcade 97. The WCW title is on the line. We'll be talking about it. Whether or not sting was ready for the champion. Maybe he wandered into a tanning salon. I don't know. Uh, Scott Steiner is <laughs> going to turn his ass. Lex Luger and Randy Savage are going to face off in an ODQ match. We got DDP defending the U.S. title against Chris Benoit. Hooventude is going to put his mask on the line against Chris Jericho and so much more. And in the meantime, I want to give you guys a pro tip. In my real life, I'm helping people save money at SaveWithConrad.com. If you haven't taken a look at this in a while, you owe it to yourself to take a look right now We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get a cheaper monthly payment. If you're looking to uh, have a little extra money at the end of the month, or maybe right now you think, hey, man, uh, we're at the end of the money, but there's still a lot of month left. We can make that a non-starter at SaveWithConrad.com. It's not uncommon for us to help folks save over $1,000 a month. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it's real. We have an A-plus rating with the BBB. Go check out all of our five-star reviews. There's over a thousand of them at conradreviews.com. Here's one, uh, five stars from David. Dan was very knowledgeable and found ways to get things done when I was being very complicated, very professional, but at the same time, personal to assure me of the process. Lord knows with my job and unexpected circumstances popping up, she always found a solution and put my mind at ease. That's what we do, folks. We take a look at where you are right now. You tell us where you want to be, and then we help you get there. Maybe you want to retire on time. Think about this. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? If you don't know the answer to that, you probably haven't done enough planning. If you're not careful, you'll be on that unfortunate work forever plan. And here's the other thing you might not think about. If you've got young kids, do you want your kids to have to get student loans one day? Well, what's the plan? Are you going to be able to pay for both kids to go to college and your mortgage? Something's got to give and you're going to have to pay to live somewhere. Why not knock that debt out now? What I'm suggesting is let's take a look at what you owe. I mean, your credit cards, your car loans, your first mortgage, your home equity line of credit, whatever. And let's see how much income you have coming in. Can we create some margin? Can we save you five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month? Now, if you don't need that money right now, why don't we just dump it in the house and pay it off faster That's how we help folks pay their house off faster. I'm talking to you. If you're in a 30-year loan, I know what you're thinking. Well, Conrad, I looked at a 15-year loan. I can't afford it. I would go so far as to say you can't afford not to look at it because we routinely help folks restructure their debt to get the cheapest possible rate, the greatest tax deduction, the lowest monthly payment, but more importantly, get out of debt faster. That's the real American dream, and I can help you do it. At savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. By the way, you can also send me an email directly, Conrad at savewithconrad.com, or give us a call toll free, 888 0105. And did I mention no house payments for two months? It's your single biggest bill. You can pocket all of that cash for two months, all at savewithconrad.com. Next week, we're going to be talking about Super Brawl from 1998. In the meantime, you can catch up with our great interview we just did with Gary Juster. And they may hear a lot on these podcasts, but when was the last time you heard a Gary Juster interview? Probably never, but we've got one up at adfreeshows.com. We're also talking about February of 1985 with David Crockett's new series on AdFree shows called The Book. We break down his brother's book from the mind of Dusty Rhodes, from the penmanship of J.J. Dillon, everything that happened gate by gate, show by show, match by match, angle by angle, during February 1985 uh, we also had an opportunity to watch the very first Royal Rumble with the winner hacksaw Jim Duggan that's up there as well as the brand new episode of uh, of Earl Hebner talking about the evil twin referee from the main event angle it's all happening at adfreeshows.com and you get to come join us on these shows be a part of the live studio audience but the easiest and best way to support the show is our YouTube. And Eric, I know you've been doing a lot of bonus stuff with our YouTube. Uh, it's eighty-three weeks on YouTube.com. If you're digging what you're doing, there's no better place to keep up than eighty-three weeks on
2: YouTube.com. Fair to say? Fair to say. And uh, we n- not only do we want you to check it out and enjoy it because there's a lot of great stuff there. Um, we do clips of this show. We do uh, bonus stuff uh, on eighty-three weeks. Um, you can find strictly business on eighty-three weeks uh, on YouTube.com. But do me a favor, like it, subscribe, and hit that little announce button, that little bell, so that when we drop Strictly Business, for example, or any bonus content that goes right to YouTube, you'll know about it right away.
0: 83 Weeks on YouTube.com, and you can also check out all the new 83 Weeks merch and swag over at boxofgimmicks.com, including the now infamous Muckerfather hoodie, which is perfect this time (laughs) of year. Uh, Eric, today was fun, man. I'm glad we got to celebrate the life and times of Sherry Martell. But I am looking forward to busting your balls a little more about 1998 next week.
2: Bust away, mofo. I'll be ready for you.
0: (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in to 83 Weeks. Tell your friends. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. Throw us a follow at 83 Weeks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric
1: Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and blah, and blah. blah. How many yards do you think you're going to pick
2: up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? You pay me more. Jeff Smith teaches on a sliding scale. (laughs) Those weekend golf guys, the podcast,
1: part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.